Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 32 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. This is a special episode today because my guests are both guys that I met 20 years ago back in WCW when I was the magazine editor there. Uh, Later in the show, I'll be speaking with Crowbar, but my first guest has worked for just about every major U.S.-based promotion there is, from WWE to WCW, Ring of Honor, TNA, and most recently, AEW. You may know him as the Hurricane or Sugar Shane or Gregory Helms. He is, as Mean Gene Okerlund would say, my close, longtime personal friend, Shane Helms. Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, man, I appreciate it, man. I don't know if most of them is accurate. I think that I kind of... Hit them all, didn't I? I mean, I, I don't think I could count AWA since it went out of business before I came along. But as far as North American uh, companies, I think I did hit the uh, the bucket list and all of them. Well, I think, see, there's an asterisk there. Because I, I, okay, give me an asterisk. I did this research, and even though you worked for, you technically worked for ECW, uh-huh. you did not work for the original ECW. So I don't count... Okay. The WWE version of ECW, but that's just... No, yeah, I, I get that. When I put that up, when I put up that graphic of all the companies, that's why I left ECW off. Okay. So we're on so the same... At, we're on the same yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay. you know, in a weird way, I did... Uh, there was an ECW independent house show conglomeration that I did uh, right before my uh, I went to WCW because I wasn't small talks with ECW. I went up there, I had a tryout with them. Uh, but everything with WCW happened in that same time frame, and WCW had money. <laughs> if I'm being if I'm being honest, WCW had money, and so I, I chose them. But I know the match was supposed to be me and RVD, and me and RVD have never worked. But that was going to be the original match on that show. And then I know they were going to a pay per view. Uh, RVD was going to a pay per view against Jerry, and he wanted to work Jerry on that house show. So I ended up working a guy want to say his name was Billy Black if uh and I think historians can correct me on that but I ended up having a really good match with him so I kind of sort of did and that was actually too the first weekend I ever met Tommy Rich and uh Tracy Smothers wow and a lot of the old older school ECW guys so in a roundabout way kind of sort of yeah but um I, I get what you're saying with the asterisk. Okay. Well, I have not heard that before, Shane. I, I had not. I had not heard that story. So I've already. We're three minutes into the show, and I've already learned something new. Dude, my I am the Forrest Gump of professional wrestling. You really Dude, are. <laughs> I have somehow been everywhere. If there's a weird story, I was in the background just watching or some shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but uh. I don't know. A lot of it was just, you know, I was kind of always ready. You know, I was always working and being prepared uh, for like whenever opportunities presented themselves. Cause I, I've seen in the business, sometimes guys got opportunities and they weren't quite ready. Right. Luckily I kind of was in, in a lot of instances. So, uh, and two, I never was like a, 
I never like really did anybody wrong or screwed anybody over. So people kind of always, you know, like me being around because I was a trustworthy guy and stuff like that. So I don't know. No, I was going to say it really, it's a testament to two things, really. One that what you just said is that you didn't burn any bridges and you were seen as a dependable guy. People liked you. But the other thing is you're talented and you can work. And clearly, you know, nobody's in the charity. They're not going to bring you on especially at the level you've worked at, the, you know, these major promotions, they're not going to do it just because you're a nice guy or because right. you're funny. I mean, you are funny. You're one of the funniest people I know. We'll get to that later. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously you've got talent and you haven't burned any bridges and that's why you pop up everywhere. Most recently, as I said in the intro, the elite deletion in AEW. So you can add AEW to your resume. Uh, you, you, you were there with your good friend, Matt Hardy. How did that come about? Um, well, you know, the entirety of the deletion series, even from the ones in TNA to, you know, in WWE, uh, me and Matt have been in conversation about that, about that stuff. And um, I was actually the producer on the first one, you know, the very first one. Um, so, and he's, he's one of my best friends. So we talk about stuff all the time. We pick each other's brains about wrestling all the time. There's things that I've done in my career that, you know, were at the suggestion of Matt. There's things that Matt got from me, you know, it's just... I think that happens a lot in the business, you know, so, um, and at the last, uh, thing we did at, uh, the Hardy compound as they call it, uh, and this one was for WWE. I had been kidnapped right at the end of the episode. It was the Hardy house Halloween, something like that. I forget yep. Exactly yep. what it was called, but I ended up being kidnapped. And the idea of course was that we were going to do another one where I get rescued. But then, you know, uh, for several reasons, uh, that one didn't actually happen. You know, it had great ratings on the network. Everybody loved it. It was, there was definitely going to be a sequel, but then, you know, a couple of different things happened. The sequel didn't happen. And so when this came up, you know, it, it was, Matt just had this crazy idea that I get rescued on a different, on a different company, you know, <laughs> and it was such a, it was such a good line. And that was just the long-term storytelling line that he got in. And then, you know, to go into the lake, because when we did the deletion uh, in Impact, TNA Impact, you know, I went to the lake twice because I was three different characters in that one. Yeah. I went in as TNA Gregory Helms with the green leather jacket. Then I came out as Sugar Shane to tie in WCW. Then I came back out as Hurricane on Impact. So uh, and we just kind of played off that a little bit. And I mean, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you got, it's, it's just so funny to think about uh, the whole deletion series and the broken universe as it's, it's like you, I mean, it's been in all these major promotions. It started, it got its birth in, in TNA, made its way to WWE, um, had a, had a quick stop in ROH. The broken Hardys did win the ROH world tag team championships from the young bucks. Mm -hmm. And and now we see it in AEW. So uh, kudos to Matt really. Cause I, yeah. I think this is really came out of Matt's head, I think more than anybody's and, for Matt to reinvent himself the way he did and to have it on the grand stage of all these, these major companies. Um, mm -hmm. What a testament to him. And, uh, and it really, no one was really doing the, the cinematic kind of thing. I mean, yes, you know, Lucha underground, but no one was doing it in any of the main companies. And now it's funny because now you see other companies piggybacking off of that. Yeah. And two, you can actually go back to when, um, you know, Matt was doing his uh, the Hardy Show DVD series. This right. is this is an extension of that. So this really goes back deeper than Lucha Underground. You know, this goes way back. 
And as far as all the multiple guests, that was something I had been putting in Matt's ear for years, all the surprise guests, because I tried to get WWE to do it on my first run there. Because, you know, they would do, um, leading up to like the Raw universe, uh, anniversary shows, you know, they would bring in a surprise. Right. And like the crowd would always go crazy. And I just like, I couldn't figure out why they wouldn't do that more. Like there's so many guys from WWE's uh, history library that are would come in for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three. Who can you know, if the crowd wants them there, bring them in. I mean, just a huge amount of people to choose from. And I would suggest it and suggest it and suggest it. And they, they just kind of wouldn't bite on it, you know? And you're like, okay, but it's like something that I knew fans love. And you can tell fans love it because you go to the indie scene, which has been really on fire for a long time up until this COVID era. That's what the indie scene is. They got their core group of guys and then they bring in, you know, an older school television character. You know, and I was like, this is working on the independent level. So I promise you it'll work on this level. And it, and in turn, it's going to make the independent scene even harder when these guys can go back. I tried to get uh, Impact to do it because uh, I remember when we brought in Reno Scum, uh, the Headbangers are out of Florida. And I was wanted to bring in the Headbangers. And like, but just uh, they at the time, you know, um, the leadership there, they're still stuck in this whole, everybody has to have a contract for three years mode. And I'm like, just, just make a smaller contract, <laughs> you, know, make it, right. you know, make it six months, make a six months contract, you know, whatever, you know how like a UFC does a, a fight deal. Okay. You got a five fight deal. Make it that something like that. Bring in the headbangers against Reno scum. If the fans like it. Okay. We did something cool. If they don't, you know, Hey, what? we tried something new and, and we should always be trying new things, you know? And so I tried to get impact to do it. And so, and during all of this, I'm constantly having these conversations with Matt and I'm like, I don't know why they don't do this. It would be so cool. And so when he got a chance with, uh, with the deletion series to bring in these guest stars, that's when, you know, it was finally a, a vehicle for that idea to, to see like. Yeah. Yeah. The guest stars, I mean, you're hundred percent right. They always, they always pop fans uh, when you bring those guys in. Like, you know, I think in one of the first deletion I don't remember which one it was, but I remember the Rock and Roll Express yeah, yeah. made a huge part in it. And that got the Rock and Roll Express name out there, you know, again. And of course, they've been working indies this whole time, but here they, you know, they pop up on TNA. We brought them into Ring of Honor and actually had the Briscoes against the Rock and Roll mm -hmm. Express. Which yeah. It's like you can do cool stuff like that. There's no reason why you shouldn't. Um, back in the day, in the territory days, going way back to like Georgia Championship Wrestling, they would bring in guys. You know, they bring in Jerry Lawler from Memphis for three weeks, have him work a, a program with Tommy Rich, then move on. And they did that with big stars all the time. So it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a proven formula. And that, yeah, and that was something I was trying to do with a lot of the independent companies I worked with. You know, instead of bringing me in just for a one shot, let's do a, a couple, do a story. Because, you know, sometimes independent fans are conditioned to the TV guy coming in one time and that's it. Right. So let's come in, do a, let me do a story with one of your guys and I'll put him over going out and it's going to elevate him. Me coming in and beating somebody one night, you know, what does that really do for them other than having the experience of working with me? You know, but you, when you can do a story with somebody and, and stuff like that, you can get a little bit more longevity out of it. But, uh, and there were a lot of companies that, that, that bid on that and I did that with. So, um, you know, each company, I guess, has their own uh, kind of way of doing things. 
but I, I still think there's so much talent out there, uh, you know, from history, maybe antiquity, because they're not all uh, spring chickens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe antiquity is the word to use there, but there's still a lot of guys that you bring in. I mean, look at Honky Tonk Man. He got in such good shape for that uh, for the Hall of Fame. Man, I'd had a hit, I'd have him out there the next night or the night before blasting somebody in the head with that guitar for oh, sure. 100 percent. You know, you know, doing something like that. Fans, fans dig that. They love it. You know, we, we're still, you know, WWE, uh, maybe more so than just about anybody, really gets stuck on that youth movement thing, which there's no evidence whatsoever that that works. There's actually evidence to the contrary. <laughs> you know. That, hey, let me just take out everybody that's over and bring in a bunch of new people that nobody knows. And the evidence has been that a lot of fans change the channel. They leave with that character. You know, if I watched, if I turned on a TV show that I loved, you know, say it was Seinfeld or, you know, whatever, bring me something new, bring me Game of Thrones. And none of the characters that were on there were on there anymore and they were replaced by other people. I'm like, what would, what would be going on? I, I would kind of, you know, I would lose interest for sure. Right. Yeah. Everything you say makes sense. Yeah, you got to sprinkle them in. That's not saying don't, you always are developing new characters for sure. But you got to sprinkle them in and let them have that interaction with the existing characters and build them up and build them up. You know, there's just, uh, no, that's no, just how I see it. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, sprinkle them in is exactly the right way to put it. Um, you can't do nostalgia and, and that, and it just be only nostalgia because that will, you know, pardon the pun, get old. But for sure, there's a way to have your new, your new guys and, like you said, sprinkle in some of those uh, legends from the past. And um, it, like I said, it always, it always pops the fans when they haven't seen somebody in a while. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think we definitely need to see, see more of that. I know I wanted to bring in an impact. This, this will pop you. Uh, and I, I'm giving away the idea because I think there's still room to do it somewhere. And so okay. somebody – but uh, I know we were going to do some kind of um, – it was a battle royal, but it was going to be a Rumble style battle royal of some sort. And I can't remember what exactly it showed. But I knew Bushwhacker Luke was local. And I was like, why don't we book Luke? <laughs> and I was like, I wanted him to come in to do the Bushwhacker spot in this battle royal, but actually end up throwing somebody out. Oh, okay. See, I I thought you were going. You no, know. And I was like, and I told him I would do it. I will feed in for Butch. I would oh, go to awesome. like if like if he did the Bushwhacker walk down to the ring. He got in there. I grabbed him by the head, went to throw him out. You know, to almost duplicate the original Bushwhacker spot, but he blocks it, grabs me, tosses my ass out. Like, dude, I said that would be so over. Fans would be loving that. And um, but I think Luke had a uh. I think he had us a legends deal or something like that still tied in. Yeah. But just that type of idea. I mean, just brings, you know, for, you know, wrestling fans have a, have a pretty good memory. Um, and I think they appreciate throwbacks like that. Oh, I think they definitely do. I think they definitely do. And it's funny you mentioned Bushwhacker Luke years ago, he actually did a surprise spot in ring of honor. Believe it. Oh or yeah. Not. Yeah. What year? This was the early years. This was, man, I don't want to say a year. It was back when Carrie Silkin still owned the company. Okay. okay. Back around that time. But, I'm, you know, when you get to be my age, Shane, you know, the years start to run together. Well, especially this year since it's lasted about four years long. <laughs> Boy, you, that's a perfect segue into my next question was uh, this, this crazy 2020 pandemic. Uh, it's affected everyone, obviously. Um, how have you been dealing with it? these past, you know, being in lockdown, uh, various stages of quarantine or lockdown, 
these past six or seven months? Uh, well, I'm very blessed in that my situation at home is, you know, we got a lot of land and farm out here. So uh, it's not like I'm cooped up. Whereas, you know, I'm paying attention to a lot of people's stories and there's, you know, they're trapped in smaller apartments, especially in a big city, can't really get out. You know, I'm very lucky in, in that situation. And also when I wasn't on the road, I'm kind of a homebody anyway, you know, if that makes sense. When I'm not touring, I don't mind staying at home for a couple of weeks on end. Um, as it started to progress into six months, I started to get a little stir crazy. Um, but for me, it, it wasn't too bad. And now with the, um, you know, the kids, you know, I got two boys, they're doing the online, their virtual learning. Um, they, they love that. They don't, I, they probably don't want to go back to school ever again. <laughs> you know? How old are your boys now? Uh, eight and 14. Wow. And so, and they, have, they love it. They're actually, they're more efficient with their time. They get their schoolwork work done earlier. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, assuming, you know, you hopefully the virus will go away and everything will be get back to whatever we used to be, but, but hopefully better than we used to be. You know, people keep saying going back to normal. We had a lot of problems back then too. We need to, you know, we need to always be going forward, but I, I'm not sure that uh, just going, I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of wasted time apparently at school. If they could figure out a way with, especially with technology, and it has to be that, you know, not all families have the same level of uh, income. So if certain families can't afford these technologies, then we got to figure something out to try to help them or whatever. But I, I wonder if going forward, there's going to be a lot more virtual learning regardless of how things are. That's it, se it seems to work really well. Yeah. And that's, that's a thought I had, because obviously I've got, I've got kids very similar in age to you. I have an 11 year old and a 15 year old. And um, once I saw the virtual learning thing and even like with work, when you start working from home yeah. and you can work, you know, do conference calls and zoom meetings and all this other stuff. It's like, man, we don't really need to leave the house. Like we could all work from, or a lot of us could work from home. Schooling could be done from home. I think the one thing you kind of miss though is the socialization. Uh, but yeah, I think you make a good point about it as far as being efficient. I don't want to bring up a bad subject, but you know, I, I will anyway, I guess, cause it's my job. <laughs> uh, so the pandemic hits and at the end of mi or mid March, I guess, is when really things kind of hit the fan. Um, and people, you know, a lot of people in this country lost jobs and it affected you. You lost your job as a WWE producer in April. Um, mm -hmm. so let me just ask you about your feelings about what, you know, when that happened, I'm not asking you to obviously to badmouth anybody that you work for or anything like that. Just your feelings as someone who, who lost a job in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, obviously that sucks, you know, but uh, it wasn't something that was unexpected enough for me. You know, I know that company well, and I just knew I'd already been at home for a couple of weeks already, not doing anything. And I just, I knew that company wasn't going to pay me to sit at home forever, not doing anything. And I was in a transition period because I had a talent contract and I was switching over to a, an employee. I wasn't even an employee yet. Okay. And because I was in that vague window of, you know, a temporary employee or whatever, low man on the totem pole. And it didn't matter how good I was at the job or not. Just on paper, I was a low man on the totem pole. And so that was just one of the easy cuts uh, for them to make. So, uh, I mean, it sucks. You weren't blindsided then. No, 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 not at all. You know, and I, 
Uh, I was on the phone with events pretty, pretty soon after that. And, uh, you know, I've been in contact with the company and they reach out to me and I reach out to them and, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's one of those things that sucks. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I've had other opportunities spring up, you know, because of it, you know, I was able to do AEW and just recently the, uh, talking shop of mania, uh, pay-per-view, which is of course backed by impact wrestling. So, I mean, I'm having, I'm still having a lot of fun. You know, I, I do always try to find a way, you know, to, to find that silver lining as, as hard as it may be. And that's just what keeps me going as a positive person. You know, it, it would have been real easy to get down in the dumps about it um, because it was a sucky situation, you know, but I mean, there's nothing I could really do about it. It was something that was out of my hands. So I just say, you know, <laughs> you know me, I'll say the hell with it and I'll just keep moving forward. Exactly. I, I know you'll always find the, uh, the silver lining and the positivity and everything. And it's, it's, it's one reason why you, you know, you do, you always land on your feet and move on to the, you know, to, to something else. But let me ask you though, about making that transition from an in-ring performer to the backstage. Um, I guess some people call them agents and WWE, they're called producers. I know that you did it first in uh, TNA. Is that something that you always had an interest in doing? It wasn't something that I ever verbally expressed, but I've always helped out people my entire career anyway, you know, even in matches that weren't mine, segments that weren't mine, promos that weren't mine. I mean, going back to WCW, even going back to my indie days, I would watch people's matches and, you know, uh, try to help them progress and and get better. So it was something I've kind of always been practicing for anyway. Uh, And then, you know, I had a, uh, what happened? Oh yeah. My, I tore my ACL and that's, you know, I was out of work. Uh, with the ACL injury. And that's when impact reached out to me about being a producer. And so uh, that's when I like, okay, let me try this uh, officially. And I mean, I've really liked it. And um, so it was something that uh, I, you know, I look forward to doing again because uh, I, I do enjoy it. And I do enjoy, I wasn't always a, a good teacher earlier on in my career because a lot of the things I was good at, I was naturally good at, and I didn't even understand why I was good at them. And I didn't understand that that was a thing. That's why it's like some of the greatest players you hear are terrible coaches. Right. They don't understand what comes naturally to them doesn't come naturally to other people. And so I didn't quite know how to teach. Like I've only, there was only two people I have any credit of, of you know, actually training in the business. And, um, and part of that was why these were just two people who could deal with my frustrations. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, as I got older and starting to understand and being and being a better teacher and a better coach, you know, I, I got a lot better at it. So um, I, I enjoy I enjoy being behind the curtain and I have a great appreciation and I always have for the entirety of the show, not just for the top of the card, for the people, you know, at all stages of the card and people behind the scenes and what they did as well. You know, I had a great relationships with the whole camera crew in WWE. Like when I went back there, more of the production people knew me than the locker room knew me, you know, cause these were people that I knew and worked with and had all these, you know, really fun stories with. Um, because I know how important that is. You need good sound people, you need good camera people, but also I just treat people, you know, pretty well. So <laughs> right. that was a, that was a big part of it, but I got a, a very good appreciation for all the aspects of the business. You mentioned the two people uh, with training. Who, who were those two people? Uh, one was a, uh, is a gigantic uh, Native American friend of mine who we called the Iron Chief. 
Okay. Because uh, that was his real, he, he, uh, he wanted to go by Chief. That was his name. He would, you know, if you would introduce him to him, he would say, my name's Chief. So uh, we went off the Iron Chief. And another guy was a guy named Michael Yamaha, who was really, uh, he got, he did really, he was really successful in the Indies and uh, the Carolinas. And I know he had a couple uh, extra spots with WWE a couple of times. So, uh, and both, both are pretty talented. Well, as, as you know, I, I, you know we, we, our paths didn't cross in WWE. I was a writer there before you came in as a, as a producer. Um, I spent three years there. And so I know what those production meetings are like. I know that the uh, producers sit in those meetings as well. And producers get to uh, throw out their ideas uh, during those meetings. Is there one or two ideas that, that you suggested that, um, that made it onto TV that stick out in your mind that, that turned out really well? that you're proud of? Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of things, you know, it was my idea for Oscar to start using the mist. Okay. Um, and we had a lot of fun with that. It was, uh, this is a great story. Um, so that was when her and Carrie Sane were turning heel that night mm -hmm. and they'd never been healed. Like Carrie, Carrie Sane uh, specifically never had. And so, uh, you know, I was trying to think of something uh, for them to do for the finish, you know, it needed to be somewhat hillish, but they haven't, there's no reason for them to go full murder mode heel yet. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and they were already called the Kabuki Warriors. So for me, it wasn't a big stretch. I hear Kabuki. I think of old school Kabuki. There's the miss. For me, that was my train of thought. Yep. But then I had this weird idea in my head. I say, is it weird? I mean, I don't want to assume all Japanese wrestlers can do the miss. You don't want to stereotype either. You know, <laughs> so I wanted, I had to dance around how to ask Oscar about this. And finally I just said, I'm gonna just go ask her and see what she says. And she got super excited about it. And she told me she had did it once before. And I was like, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, you know, I got to figure out, and I don't want to give away the secrets of the myths, but there's certain items you have to purchase because of it. Right. And so, and that was a very entertaining conversation in it, in and of itself. Uh, but but it, it came off super well, you know, uh, that was fun. Um, the Survivor Series from last year where it was the men's match where the, every, the whole match was a triple threat was very challenging. Uh, and so I was heavily involved in that one. And was super proud of how that came out because a lot of the guys involved in it were unsure, you know, very outspoken that it shouldn't be a triple threat the entire time. But you got three teams out there. It's, it almost has to be, or else why would one team ever tag out? You know, right. there was um, that was challenging. But there's a lot of good things. But I don't want to take. Here's the thing: when you're a producer and stuff like that, you don't want to take too much talent away from from the, the talent. You don't want to take credit away from the talent. You know, no matter if you call the play, they are the ones that have to run the play. Um, so it's it, it's a thankless job sometimes yeah, uh, because exactly. of that. Exactly. And if it goes to hell, you take all the blame. That's the worst part of the job. You know, no you're getting yelled at on the headset. Oh, trust me, Shane, I've been there. <laughs> and it's got nothing to do with you. You know, there was uh, one talent uh, decided to change his uh, attire, his whole look before a match one time. Uh -huh. And uh, I was the producer for that match. And So it's your fault. Yeah, it ended up being my fault. I had no idea that this was going to happen. I saw him a couple minutes before, you know, I talked to him during the day, and then a couple minutes before he's going to go out, I see what he's wearing. I'm like, what, where's your gear? And I'm, because we're doing, we, we got all kinds of things we're doing during the day, you know. And it just never crossed my mind that that he would do that. 
you know, I, but at the same time, I never asked for permission to change my outfit. Now I stayed the superhero. It was still, it was always kind of reminiscent of what I was wearing, but this was something new. And so there I am getting chewed out, chewed out at the end of the night. And it wasn't bad. Nobody gave, <laughs> you know, but, but at the same time I'm sitting there getting chewed out about it. And I'm going, man, this is stupid. <laughs> yep. This is such a stupid thing happening right here. But um, anyway, it, it's a weird job. It's a very weird job. For sure. I think, um, I don't know if you, you'll agree with me on this, but I, just my own personal experience. Um, and I'm not even talking about specifically WWE, just my career as a, as a writer, you get that satisfaction. You know, I worked for a newspaper for a long time, worked for a magazine. There's that satisfaction of creating the article, writing it and seeing your name, seeing that byline. It gives you the sense of satisfaction of that you've accomplished something. Later, I transitioned into being an editor and, you know, I managed writers and mm -hmm. I was their assigning editor. So it's their byline, it's their name on it. But, you know, I know that I helped shape the, uh, the, the article. Right. Um, I know if, if I wrote a really good headline, you know, again, the, the headline writer doesn't get a byline. Like, that's the satisfaction. So I'm th I'm th it's probably the same way as, as a producer that it's, it's not you out there in front of the camera necessarily, but you know that right. you contributed to it. If it's a success or failure, whatever you know that you played a part in it and you can get that satisfaction, you know, probably on the same level as if you were the guy in the ring doing it. At least that's the way it was for me, you know, with writing. Yeah. Especially if there's something, you know, like, like you suggest and a talent isn't sure about it and then it works, you know, that really can strengthen your relationship with that talent. And this goes back to even when I was running Omega uh, and this was maybe 2017, um, 2018, perhaps, I had Tommy Dream on the show and he was working on uh, Luke Gallows and I had this idea for their match and Tommy was, uh, he didn't think it would work. And I really felt that it would if they, if they did it the way I suggested. And I was like, you know, can we just try it? And, you know, and I had a good relationship with Tommy. He was, he, Tommy wouldn't be a guy that's no, my character wouldn't do that. Tommy's not that guy at all, right. but he was just, he wanted to look out for me in my show. That's why he said that. He was just like, I'm not sure. You know what I said? Let, let's just try it. And then it went out and it worked perfectly. And Tommy comes back and he's like, you were right. And big hugs and like things like that can really, you know, build a relationship. But at the same time, as a producer or agent coach, whatever, if you call a play and it doesn't work, you got to be willing to say, hey, that was on me. You know, I really thought that it would work, but it did not. Now we know. Sure. But you got you to be able to, uh, you got to take the good with the bad. If you want it, if you want the accolades, you got to take the criticism. No doubt about it. All right, well, so far, the good with the bad. This has been all good so far, Shane. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with more with Shane Helms right after this. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH-TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH-TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag watch ROH watch party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Shane Helms. Shane, I know that you're like me. You're a, you've been a fan of this business for a long, long time. You watch uh, a lot of different wrestling. What, what are your thoughts in general? Uh, and I know this is a broad question, but in general, Thoughts on the state of the business today? 
Uh, I mean, it's it's in a delicate situation right now because of the uh, the COVID era, I guess. But uh, I think if we can get through 2021, I think we're going to be okay. I think we still got a little bit. We got a little area, and maybe halfway through 2021. Um, but we need we got to get our fans back. You know, nothing. I don't think there's a form of entertainment that needs fans more than, than pro wrestling. The only thing else, I guess, would be stand-up comedy because you need you need other people to laugh with. Yeah. Um, but we really need we really need an audience there to, to play off of. But um, I mean, I think uh, in a there's in a way some talents might be letting their bodies heal up. Hopefully, they're using this time to uh, strengthen their bodies. I've seen a couple people. Uh, Ethan Page from uh, Impact, like really during this during this whole COVID era, got himself in tremendous shape. And I just saw him on the Talking Shop Mania pay per view at, at, at that uh, pay per view, and uh, I was like, man, I was like, dude, uh, this is awesome because I see so many talents talking about how they're busting their ass, and then I will see them and they don't look like they've been busting their ass. <laughs> and I watch their matches, and their matches aren't that good. And I'm trying to figure out where exactly they're busting their ass at, you know. <laughs> Uh, so I have a great appreciation when I see somebody's putting in the work. So um, I know me specifically, I've I've been able to heal up a, a couple little nagging injuries, which happened just after wrestling for 30 years, you know. So hopefully a lot of talents have, have been able to take this time to heal themselves up physically. I know mentally, I'm sure it's stressful for a lot of people because pro wrestlers are creators. And if you have that creative mindset, you need to be doing something at all times. And you know, sitting around not doing something, your mind will start playing tricks on you. So I think there's a mental battle that a lot of people are going through and uh, hopefully they can overcome that. But as far as the state of the business, there's still a lot of good things out there. There's a lot of super talented people in the business. And, you know, at any time we could hit another boom, you know, the last boom kind of came out of nowhere. These things are hard to predict. If they were easy to predict, we would just make them happen. You know what I mean? Um, but there's so much talent out there that, you know, there's a couple of weeks where I'm sitting there going, man, Impact was great. NXT was great. You know, like I said, I watched Ring of Honor. Like, man, there's so much still good wrestling going on. You know, we, we're very spoiled as fans. You know, we're very, very spoiled as fans in terms of how much good quality wrestling is still out there. Well, let's talk about Ring of Honor since this is, after all, the Ring of Honor uh, official podcast. Uh, what are your thoughts on the on the Ring of Honor uh, product specifically? As as you're aware, we took a we took six months off. Um, mm-hmm. we were just we were doing clip shows, not necessarily even clip shows. It, w- it was still live content as far as what people were doing during the pandemic. You know, we were catching up with the talent in that regard, but then showing you know some some matches from the past. Um, but then uh, you know, back in August, we had our first set of TV tapings. And uh, we just had another one in October. Uh, they're starting to air now. Of course, the first set of tapings featured the Ring of Honor Pure title tournament. Uh, we did not have a crowd. Uh, we were under very uh, strict, very stringent protocols. We worked with the Maryland State Athletic Commission. There was a lot of testing done. Uh, the talent had to be basically sequestered in a hotel, quarantined uh, in the bubble, so to speak. Um, but so what, what were your, just your general thoughts on the pure title tournament and, uh, and the presentation? I, I definitely like that. You know, I like it. I mean, I'm a big fan of Gresh. Yeah. Um, you know, 
And I like what he did with uh, Josh Woods. I like. I thought he did good. You know, the final with Tracy Williams, I thought was good. You know, and you guys had like PJ Black and these other people popping in. I like that. I mean, one of the things I love about pro wrestling is that the variety that there's a little something for everybody. So I, I, I like that. And I think when you have like a pure match like that, that's just pure technique. When you have a match where people start punching each other in the face, that makes us, that makes those matches stand out a little bit more. Right. And I've always looked like the technical aspect of, of wrestling as well. So, you know, I mean, I was an amateur for seven years myself. So, you know, I, I'm drawn to that uh, aspect of the business. So I, I thought it was really good. Well, I know I know Gresham, Jonathan Gresham, who obviously uh, won the tournament, is uh, I think he's all about wanting to defend that championship against people from all over, not necessarily people that are under you know Ring of Honor contracts. So we do know you have that amateur background. Yeah, but would but would he want the Hurricane or would he want Gregory Helms? Because Gregory <laughs> Helms was an ass. Now I got to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I don't know if I don't know if the Hurricane would be would be right for the uh, pure tournament, but yeah, Gregory Helms sure would. I think. Well, I got to get Gregory Helms' abs back before I put on those little shorts again. I do. I do have to say that I'm getting close though. I'm at two ten right now. I haven't been under two hundred. That's my goal. Uh, that's my goal right now. I haven't been under two hundred since about two uh, two thousand and four. You know, good, so good for you. Uh, so I'm, I'm at 210 right now, you know, but uh, yeah, it'd be great. I'd, Gresh would probably tie me in a knot, but <laughs> <laughs> I would be the. I love the mask. I love the, uh, the octopus squid mask that he comes out in. Oh um, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to work with him in impact, not in the ring, but as a producer, I got to work with him in impact. And that's why I met him. At. Yeah. It's, it's just on a personal note. It man, It's great to see him. You know, he's been around for a while. He's been all over the world honing his craft. And uh, I, mean, I just think it's long overdue. And I'm so glad that he's now a two-time champion or a double champion. not, not two Champ champ. A champ champ. He's the pure champion and co-holder of the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship with Jay Lethal. So, uh, man, it's just, just so gratifying to see somebody as talented as Jonathan Gresham finally getting this, uh, this spotlight. Yeah, and I, they, there's a there's a good storyline there if they can uh, if they see it with him being a champ champ and the problems that being a champ champ should present. Yes. So um, I'm looking forward to see what Ring of Honor if they do anything with it. They might not, but I know what I would do <laughs> if I was if I had the pencil. That's right. Well, you you had a little stint in Ring of Honor in uh, 2018 2019. Added that to your, like I said, your your vast resume of companies that you've worked for. Uh, what was that experience like for you? I mean, you would obviously you're a, a veteran, a longtime veteran at that point. You've worked everywhere. What was it like coming into uh, to Ring of Honor? I had a blast, man, and uh, I thought the locker room was very welcoming. Like you don't know just because you're a veteran, you really don't know what that means anymore. I mean, if you look on social media, so many of the younger younger talents, it's like it's so edgy just to attack veterans. You know, so you're not really sure. That's that's but some somewhere along the line that became edgy, but it's really not. It's not even really original. So you're not really sure how a locker room is ever going to uh, welcome you. But I haven't had a problem in that regard. And uh, coming in the Ring of Honor, I just saw everybody was super cool, super welcoming. Uh, they were excited that I was there, and I had I had a blast. You know, 
uh, from my first match, which was with uh, – we were just talking about that, was with Daniels and um, Kazarian. And uh, me and Delirious against those two in a run-in from a mini Delirious, right. <laughs> which, uh, which was hysterical if you, if you guys haven't seen it. Um, I, I had a blast. I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun uh, seeing you in in Ring of Honor, and uh, you know, just having known you again for all these years and seeing you come into Ring of Honor and do your thing and and uh, work with the Ring of Honor talent was uh, was very cool. And uh, who knows? Like I said, yeah, I, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I know personally, I'd love to see you back at some point. But as far as a, a Ring of Honor goes, you know, one cha- a championship I've never won is a six man championship. Okay, which is Funny because I was a part of a very popular six-man trio <laughs> that to this day people still mention, even though we were only a team for about nine months. So um, I don't know if it would be with those guys. I'm thinking I need to <laughs> I need some uh, younger body uh, ring of honor guys. So I'm gonna have to look at that roster because you still got who is it? Uh, is who still has the um? Who's the, who's the six-man champions, right? It's Bandito, right? He's one of them. I know that Bandito, Ray yeah, Horse. Ray Horse and Flamita. Yeah, Flamita's one. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm gonna have, I don't know. I'm going to have to look at the roster, see who, see who I can team with. That's funny. You mentioned uh, you mentioned three count, but back in the day, yeah, WCW didn't have six-man tag team champions back at that point. No, and I suggested that we go to the warehouse and, and find them, but they kind of did that with uh, Hacksaw with the TV title. Right, but well, didn't I was you find just, it in a garbage can. Yeah, it's one of their because um they did something where Kevin Nash and Scott Hall threw the TV title away because well as one of their stupid ideas. Yeah, but I wanted to go. We actually not find them in a trash can, but we find them like they're just put away. And they, but I, what I wanted was that WCW refused to recognize them, but we did. Like as three count, I thought that would fit the gimmick, and we wear them. And even though even. If even even if we would lose the match, we would still be and still, you know, world six man champions, and um, so and then, and then through the work, through the work of our matches, which is what happened through the quality of our matches, we would gain and respect slowly but surely anyway, and that's what I was hoping would happen with those titles, with the quality of the matches that we put on, it would kind of start to give a little bit of prestige to those six man titles and bring them back. Another great idea from you. Did you actually pitch that to the power? Yeah. yeah. And you got shot down? Yeah. Yeah, you know, too, it, sometimes it depends on the source, like uh, especially with uh, uh, that particular group. You know, if uh, if you weren't at the top of the car, they wouldn't listen to a lot of ideas anyway. Right, right, right. Yeah, so. yeah it's a shame, especially. I guess, I don't know if this was when the Young Dragons were around, but. Uh, oh, yeah, because that's who we faced almost every night. I was going to say. Like, and that's why I kind of wanted it to be about, like, yeah. What if we need something to fight over? Exactly. You know? That would have added – I mean, you guys were having the quote-unquote hell of a match. But, mm-hmm. yeah, instead of guys just in there having the great match and doing these really cool spots, why not have them fighting for something? I, again, this I've learned something new, Shane, and I was, I was around back then, and I'd never heard that pitch. But it makes perfect sense. I also pitched for once we got – once Evan got uh, – we kicked Evan out of three count. Uh, my suggestion was that Jimmy Hart was the third member. Jimmy Hart was the one that put us together anyway. Yeah, I, I did know that. Oh, so you did know that one. So, yeah. But again, or, that one didn't happen. Yeah. Or, or, or well, you know, Tank Abbott was the unofficial fourth member. Yes. Recount, which, uh, you know, it was, it was silly, but you guys made it work, I thought. I thought, you know, Tank seemed to embrace it. 
I just saw a clip recently of when Tank fired us, and it's the worst like delivery ever. Because <laughs> he just walks in, and he goes, "Hey, you guys are fired." <laughs> Tank, we just like what? Classic, yeah, he was the classic example of so bad it's good. Would yeah, you? yeah, yeah. So bad it's good. He didn't try; it just came off that way, which in turn made it entertaining. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny though. Again, thinking about three count, and again, we don't not disparage anybody here, but I would say it was mainly at the, in the beginning, Evan courageous, I think was kind of seen as the leader. He was always in the center, right. And mm-hmm. you and Shannon Moore were, you know, to his left or to his right. But it, you know, as it turns out, you have this incredibly long, successful career, go all over the world. Shannon Moore, obviously he had a great career as well. Evan courageous, like just kind of disappeared. Like whatever happened to Evan, Evan courageous. Uh, he just, you know, he, when the buyout happened, I think he went to uh, Cincinnati for a little bit because that's where all the guys that weren't brought to TV, all the cruiserweights that weren't brought to TV uh, in WWE had to go to Cincinnati, Heartland. Uh, Les Thatcher was running that developmental territory. Uh, and then I think uh, a few guys went to like OVW or um, maybe Memphis, whatever the other developmentals. You know, WWE had a couple at the time. Um, but most of the cruiserweights had to go to Cincinnati and he went there and it just didn't work out for him. And uh, he got out of business. And I think, is it fair to say, I mean, you and Shannon really were huge fans of the business, loved it, always wanted to be a part of it. That wasn't necessarily Evan's background, right? From what I remember. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what his fandom was. You know, I know he, he was, uh, he had an amateur background okay. and I, you know, just coming up to the power plant, it's a weird education and so, uh, you know, he just, he didn't really understand kind of quite what we were doing at all times, but it was, he was just young in the game. And, and that was, that was the thing. The hardest part for me during that period was putting the matches together because Shannon was really new too. If you go back and watch those tapes, you can, before Shannon went to, um, before he went to uh, Heartland Wrestling, you know, like I say under lead, before he really, you know, sharpened his skills, Shannon was really just a flip-flop guy. And that, that was it. Right. And so I would kind of have to be the meat and potatoes of everything and put the matches together. So uh, other people that we work started to see that too. And so they would come and uh, they would mainly talk to me about it in terms of putting those matches together. But Shannon, of course, you know, really progressed once he got out of there. But Evan was just, you know, the power plant, um, the power plant was fine, but it, it wasn't a place that really put out a lot of great talent, if you know what I'm saying. And, sure. Um, you know, just a different background. You know, I mean, by the time I got to WCW, I've been on the indies for the eight and a half years. So I had all of this seasoning behind me as well. So, you know, I just had a little bit more of a fortunate route. Right. Well, Shannon was with you guys in the, in the Omega days, right? Yeah. Um, so I met Shannon. Um, so I started, I got into business in 88. Uh, I was 13 when I got involved in the business and I was a referee. I just put up a picture. I don't know if you saw it on my Instagram. Or I me. saw it. I saw it. You with the rock and roll express. And, yeah. and you so, look like, I mean, you say you're 13. I thought you were like 10. No, uh, in that picture, that was um, 1990. So I was either 15 or 16 there. I was a referee <laughs> at 15 and 16. And then I had my first match at 16. And so I met Shannon, I think in 96, whatever he had just started. Uh, not too early. Like, I know that they had did like some trampoline stuff in, in the backyard, but I don't know how, if you consider that part of the resume or not. But as far as actually being working other shows and been in the business, he, you know, just been one or two years in it. And like, as far as like, uh, 
you know, high flying. Uh, Shannon was really good then, you know, because that was just stuff you didn't see uh, back, back, back in those days, right. uh, especially on the indie scene in North Carolina. So you get Shannon Moore, like if you can ever find some tapes of Shannon Moore against Jeff uh, from the indie days, it's just insane. You know, you ain't gonna, and they'll tell you not a lot of psychology, but they're gonna get the shit in. <laughs> well, that, so was, that, that was a part of the three count thing. I just had to control how much was getting put in. It's like, okay, we need something from you. We need something from you. We need something from you here. And I'll take care of everything else. And um, it was challenging, but it worked out, I guess. Well, when you're working with the Young Dragons, it was probably good that you had Jamie Noble on the other side because he's. I know I spent some time with him uh, in mm-hmm. WWE when he was a producer. I guess he still is a producer there. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he always seemed to have a good mind, at least, you know, when I knew him in WWE, he did. I'm assuming yeah, yeah, back yeah. Then he, he did as well as far as putting a match together and psychology and things like yeah, that. Yeah, as far as psychology, me and Jamie handled a, uh, a majority of the workload. Kaz was, Kaz was really good too, though. Kaz was, probably, Kaz was probably the best of the bunch, if I'm being honest with you in terms okay. of in-ring ability, overall in-ring ability. You know, there wasn't a lot he could do promo-wise and stuff like that. But as far as just being in the ring, Kaz was as good as anybody. Uh, Jimmy was really new at that time, too. Jimmy was – Jimmy's path in the business is incredible. Like, he was a kid that just went for it, showed up on, like, DDP's doorstep, knocked on the door, and said, hey, I want to be in the business. Oh, he told you know? me that. He told me that he went to uh... – DDP's house and uh, Eric Bischoff's house on Halloween dressed up. Yeah. Thing. yeah. And then like, uh, you know, just his story, his story is incredible. He was a, he was a guy that was ballsy and just went for it, but he was really new. You know, he was really new too. So he was a guy like I was suggestive to not understanding how young he was. Right. And, um, but he was able to pull off uh, a, a majority of it. I did suggest this crazy eye poke thing and Jimmy didn't know how to eye poke and buried both of his fingers in my eyeballs. <laughs> And about blinded me, uh, but um, but I, I, what I remember the most about those is just that we, I mean we beat the hell out of each other, but we all had fun. You know, it was one of those things. It was fun, and you know, we had crowds. We're all young kids making money for the first time ever, and uh, for the most part, it was super fun. Yeah, those those were good times. They were you guys had a lot of great matches back in the day, setting the tone in the opener. I think you guys had a, if I can recall, like. Um, wasn't it Starcade? Was it a ladder match? Yeah, we stole the show at ladder match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starcade. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, for a guy like you growing up in the Carolinas, yeah, that was Flair big. And everything else. Now, obviously, let's be honest. Starcade wasn't quite what it was. Come on, man. Come but, on, man. Don't be raining on my parade. <laughs> but still, pretty cool to say we stole the show at Starcade. Yeah, yeah, it was. It might have been the last Starcade. Ever. Yeah, so we might have killed it. We might have actually killed the company with that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was the last arcade because the company got bought out in 2001. Right, right. Um, well, let me ask you one other thing about WCW because I think you told me this story, but you talk about like uh, Shannon was the high flyer and all that. Isn't it true that, that you got signed to WCW in part because you did a spot at an indie show where you like, uh, I'm trying to remember what you, you jumped off a truck or something crazy? Uh, no, that's not true. Okay. But I did, but I did jump off a truck. Okay. And back oh, You said that that the people in WCW saw that, and that's one of the reasons why you got signed. Um, I don't know if they saw that or not. I know because uh, Shannon got hired off of his highlight tape, basically. Okay. And then um, 
he had called Canyon and Canyon had just came out. Canyon, Chris Canyon uh, was in charge, had been given charge by uh, Eric Bischoff to help hire new cruiserweights. And he had just came out of a meeting with Bischoff, looked at his phone and there's Shannon Moore texting him or something. And, you know, Chris was just like, man, that, that's fate right there. Chris was a real quirky guy in that regard. And so uh, they're going to bring Shannon in basically off that high, off his highlight reel. And, and so then he has Shannon and me and Shannon were teaming in uh, Music City at the time. And um, he's like, is there anybody else, you know, that, that you can bring down? And Shannon was like, yeah, my, uh, you know, Shane Helms is one, one of the best around here. So I'll bring him down. And so I got hired off a tryout match. Now, I'm sure that they saw that thing at one time because for that time it went viral as far as what viral could be at that time, me jumping off that trailer and about killing myself. So what was that spot specifically? How high up were you and what did, what did you do specifically? It was uh, the match. It was an Omega show. And this was when Matt ran Omega. Um, And it was in a a national guard armory. So there was a military transport 18 wheeler in there, the uh, trailer, not the actual rig, not the front part. And they couldn't move it. Or not that they couldn't, but they weren't going to. <laughs> and so it was going to beat us. So they had to set the ring up beside it. And so, uh, and here's the legendary part of the story. I'm walking in the building, uh, walking into the armory, walking to the locker room, carrying my bags. Matt's in the ring because he was going to have a singles match that night against my partner at the time. I was part of a tag team called the Serial Thrillers with a Z at the end because we were cool. Um, the Z and was very big back then. Hardy very big, huge. Hardy boys. Huge yeah. back then. Yeah. And so, um, and Matt just goes, uh, hey, Shane, he goes, uh, if we have a table in this ring, will you jump off that truck and put me through it? And I just go, yeah, and keep walking. <laughs> just go, yeah, keep walking. And so uh, we're doing the match, you know, um, I, I forget who I worked earlier in the evening. And then I come out, and of course, it's my partner. We're heels, so I'm trying to get involved or something like that. We end up putting Matt on the table. I climb up on the back of this 18-wheeler, and I'm on my knee doing the snooker pose. You know, and when I'm on my knee and my partner sitting man up on that table, it looked in perfect position. But as I stood up, I realized with my trajectory, my feet are going to clip the top rope if I don't aim this just right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, man. And you don't want to take him off the table, reposition the table. You know, I am. Um, I just got to go. You know, this is live. We got to go. Well, and I just say the help. I just say the hell with it, and I dive. <laughs> and so I, I pull my feet up. I look kind of like I'm trying to – how a, a parachutist is, you know, when both their feet are bent. Yeah. And I just catch him with my quads. And so I kind of scorpion and, like, uh, I hit him with my quads. He goes through the table. But as I, as I land, I kind of scorpion on my face, and my body, like, just flaps over. You know, I think my feet touch the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> and I just look like I got murdered. And I mean, the crowd's like, oh, and like, here's my partner. Here's the funniest thing, too. My partner just steps over my dead body, picks up the title. He doesn't even care. Doesn't check on me at all. (laughs) I'm just over there going, but um, I I was fine. You know, it was, it looks terrible, but I was, uh, I was a little bit smaller and very flexible. So it wasn't as bad. You were, luckily you were young and you were flexible. Yeah. Walked away from it. Okay. Yeah, I got to the back and like everybody's just like, oh my god! Like, like there are like some people in the, in the locker room like ashen white because they just knew I just broke my neck. They just knew it, and they're like hugging me. Like I'm like, wow, so why is everything okay? So uh, yeah, pretty pretty legendary for that time. 
And I'm sure the WCW people uh, found it. I mean, saw it. Okay. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure you that you. I know my memory's a little bit fuzzy, but I swear back in the day you told me that that had something to do with you getting noticed. I mean, it got a lot of attention on the indies for sure, but uh, who knows? You know, uh, and it was on my highlight tape, but I'm not sure if I don't recall ever sending in my highlight tape. Okay. Well, maybe it was just something you thought would make a good story for the magazine, and you. I could have been lying. Could have been lying. Yeah, I could have been lying now. You know, I keep I keep it ninety nine because I be lying sometimes. <laughs> hey, it's the wrestling business. If you can embellish yeah. a little bit and uh, and work a little bit, then you know you're not yeah. trying. So yeah, let me ask you about another guy from your Omega days, a guy who is now our color commentary, uh, the color commentary analyst uh, for uh, for Ring of Honor Wrestling, Caprice Coleman. Uh, oh yeah, Caprice ran in your crew back in the day, didn't he? Yeah, Ice was his name. Okay. Well, you know, I told Caprice that uh, we were going to be speaking today for the podcast. And Caprice said, you know what? He goes, I think I'm a pretty witty guy, but Shane, man, he's the king of wit. So he <laughs> put you over. I appreciate it. He's a great dude, man. Is there any, uh, are there any funny Caprice stories that come to mind? Um, I mean, like, he was just always a solid dude. I just know that that was he's one of those rare guys like even as you know well liked as i am there's a couple ass shane helm stories out there there's none about caprice absolutely no one will none. ever say a bad word about caprice yeah because there's nothing bad to say exactly. you know it's, it's not like anybody's keeping secrets you know right. he's just he's just a good dude you know um always he was always hard working i was going to um i had an idea when i was like I said, when I had a mega running uh, pretty strong in 2017, 18, whenever it was, I had this idea that uh, I was going to put Caprice in a multi-man championship for the championship and not tell him to finish and have him go over. And I wasn't going to tell him. That was the long-term idea for him. And because um, I just felt he deserved it so much. Yep. And I wanted this genuine reaction. So I, I had to finish out that I was going to get him to put somebody, even if it was me, you know, the, the perfect idea was it for, for it to be me. Uh, and that was before I tore my ACL. And that I wanted him to put me in a cross face or something like that. But in hit, in the locker room, I was going to tell him that's the false finish. You know, I was going to tell him that was a falsy. But during the actual match, I wanted to tap and put him put him over as our mega champion. But it didn't happen. He don't even know that story. So if he happens to listen to this podcast, he's going to hear it for the first time. Oh, another another great story, another learning experience for us here. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, before we get and to I it, wanted to tell you because at the time too, he was teaming in Ring of Honor with um Cedric Alexander, right. and my secondary title in Omega that I was going to create was the Inter Carolina Championship, <laughs> like the Intercontinental, but be the <laughs> Inter Carolina. And I had this design for it where it was just the state of North Carolina and the state of South Carolina underneath being this and on the championship, but with a weird design around it. Yep. And I wanted Cedric to be my Inter-Carolina champion. And I wanted to uh, somehow, once Caprice was the Omega champion, I wanted to do a champion versus champion match with those two guys. That was one of my long-term ideas. But unfortunately, none of these things came to fruition. Yeah, I got a lot of good shit that didn't happen. That's, that's, the general, you know, that's the general premise of this show, is ideas Shane had that didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. Because they're not all good, but... Yeah, well, I think all of us that, that consider ourselves, uh, you know, creative or whatever, there's always lots of good ideas that never make it off the page. Yeah. 
uh, or end up on the cutting room floor. I know I, you know I had a few things that I wish we could have done in WWE when I was there that didn't get done, but yeah, whatever. Um, I want to ask you about one other guy that you worked with before we uh, move on to the 10 question segment. I'm sure you get asked about it probably every uh, podcast that you do, which is this guy that uh, he ended up having a pretty decent career, Dwayne, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Gone on to some heights. Uh, I thought it was really cool because he was already the top, you know, I guess him and Austin were one and two or whatever you want to say at that time. If I'm got my timeline, right. He was already a huge, huge megastar. And um, what was it like working with him? I mean, was it a surprise that Rock was, I guess, to people who know him, it wouldn't be a surprise, but it may have surprised some outsiders that he would, uh, you know, not to denigrate you, but, you know, he was the main event guy. Hurricane mm-hmm. was a mid-card. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was that whole thing like working with him? I mean, it, it was it was awesome. And there's no other really way to say that other than it was just absolutely awesome. And he was such a professional and, you know, he saw things different than some of the uh, higher ups in, in WWE did in terms of what the industry could be in terms of entertaining characters and stuff like that, you know, going into that match, uh, he was going to WrestleMania with Austin. And so traditionally you're just going to win everything until you get there. So, and it was his idea to put me over in the match that we had. You know, that was him, and he fought for it because there were people that didn't want it to happen. You know, but he really fought for it. He really liked my character, and, you know, when we did those uh, backstage segments, you know, I gave him, like, some of the jabs that he said to me was, was lines that I gave him to say, you know, and, like, so he realized that, for me, it was about the segment. It wasn't about who had the better line, who had the funnier line. It's just, like, how do we both kill it here right. and, and do that, and, you know, he recognized that for me. And, and just like, you know, when I would fly out of the scene, how he would look up in the skies if I was really flying, when not everybody would do that, you know. Uh, he really put over the character. He got it. He got it more than people in positions of power didn't get it anywhere as, as, as good as he did. So um, it was just a pleasure to work with him, man. You know, it was a, one of the highlights of my career by far. The few interactions that I had with him over the years, um, most of it was was as a journalist where I would get to interview him. And, uh, man, it just struck me. Like, he was just so uh, – he had such self-confidence. You know, I don't call it arrogance with him. It was self-confidence. And he was so secure in himself mm-hmm. that he had no problem doing an angle with the hurricane and putting the hurricane over or putting anybody over if he thought it made sense business-wise. He was never a guy I saw who was like, oh, I got to protect my spot. I can't do this. Or I can't at least, you know, that's, ne- that's the way he came off to me. And, yeah. um, and I got to interview him after he left WWE and started doing movies. He would, he would do little press tours when he would have, I mean, I'm talking about like when walking tall came out, right. And, uh, Gridiron gang was another one before he became the huge, huge action star. And I would, I would do these interviews with him and it was like, man, like he hasn't changed at all. He's still that same guy who, you know, remembered that I interviewed him back when he was, you know, just a wrestler and not a movie star yet. And um, yeah, man, he's just, uh, I can't say enough good things about him. And um, he came back, you know, to work that program with Cena uh, over two WrestleManias while I, you know, I was there for that. And, and it was same thing, you know, anytime I was around him backstage or saw him. And at this point he is the biggest movie star in the world. Mm-hmm. Still seem like the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the hardest things in the business is just to understand who you are. Yep. You know, for just about everybody. 
Um, but, you know, he's always had that real self, self-assurance, that self-confidence, you know, so, and that came from success and hard work. You know, he, he definitely put in the work and he too is another guy that, I mean, you don't hear anything bad about him. Nope. You know, not, not nothing that isn't just people hating for hating's sake, but just in terms of behind the scenes stories and, you know, it's amazing. We're all going to have bad days. We're all going to have days where you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed for whatever reason. And, but you know, just for him, it's just positive story after positive story. Yeah. And it, it's yeah. funny too, because sometimes you'll see guys who are nowhere near at his level. They're the right. guys that walk around sometimes that are difficult to deal with or have an attitude or, you know, think uh, something's beneath them. And it's like, my whole thing was if Dwayne, the rock Johnson doesn't think it's beneath them, like who the hell are you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. In- insecurity is a, is a, is a plague on a lot of people. You know, most of the, most of this game and most of life is a, is a mental battle, you know, and that's just a part of the mental battle, you know, um, but who, who knows, too, what that person was going through, you know what I mean? So that's, true. that's something I've learned over, you know, the course of my 90 years of life. <laughs> hey, man, I'll put you over for this, too. Like, um, you've always been a guy full of self-confidence, but same thing. I never thought of it as arrogance or, uh, you know, you, you, you believe in Shane Helms and uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you better believe in yourself because if it doesn't start there, it's not going to help anyway. You know, that's one thing, you know, you'll never be great in, until you first you can be. And there's nothing humble about thinking you're great. You know, so there is, there has to be a level of confidence. There has to be not necessarily con- conceit, but it's close. You have to believe that you can be great or you never will be. Words of wisdom from Shane Holmes. Words right. of shining wisdom. Words of shining wisdom. Well, hopefully we're going to get some Uh, answers of wisdom because we're going to play 10 questions with Shane Helms right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Shane Helms. Shane, are you ready to play 10 questions? I am ready to answer more questions. Okay. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? Uh, going to Egypt. That's my number one. To, I want to see the Great Pyramids. Okay. Uh, that's a good one because, I mean, you've been all over this world, literally. Like, you've been yeah. to a lot of cool places. Six continents, over 50 countries. I've never been to Egypt. Wow. All right. Well, I hope you can get that one off your bucket list someday. All right, question number two. What's something popular that you don't see the appeal of? Uh, Jesus. Damn. I, st- I stumped Shane Helms. This is unbelievable. Yeah, because that's just not something I think about. Like when people like something, I, I never go, why? You know, I don't know what, 90 Day Fiance? <laughs> okay. You know, my, uh, my woman loves that show and I hate it. So 90 Day Fiance for sure. I'm with you on that. Um, I, just those kinds of shows in general, I don't get. But, no. you know, that's just me. I know they're wildly popular. Yeah. Okay. 
Question number three. If you could have a conversation with anyone, past or present, living or dead, who would that person be? If you could sit down and talk to them. Um, right now, uh, one more conversation with my mom. Ah, okay. Very cool. Gotcha. Question number four. What's the first concert that you attended? I'm trying to figure out the date here. I went to this one first or that one first. I think it was a um, a tribe called Quest was the headliner. And I think it was called like Rapapalooza or something like that. Okay. Yeah, but I know Buster Rhymes was on it. Um, and then Tribe Called Quest was the headliner and Buster came out of the end and they did Scenario together. And the place, everybody in the place lost their mind. Uh, wow, okay. Yeah, I was really hoping you were going to say like NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, but... No, I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, you know, and I also went to see uh, Dre and Snoop around. I don't know if this was the same time, but Dre and Snoop for the Chronic Tour. It oh, made that me, was uh, awesome. Yeah, it was in the uh, Charlotte Coliseum. All I know is we ended up with the munchies, and we had to we had to stop and eat like four times on the way home. I was going to say, if you were in like a five-mile radius of that, yeah. you had to get a contact high. Yeah, it was three hours away. <laughs> we, we had to stop and eat like four times on the way home. Right, very good. All right, question number five. What scares you? Twins. <laughs> I have a twin phobia ever since I was a child. Was it uh, because of The Shining? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Don't that's... you know that story? Uh, no. My babysitter took me to see The Shining when I was five. Oh, my she... God. She was on a date and they didn't even sit with me. They sat like two rows behind me. The fact they're making out. And I'm up there just traumatized to pieces. And so uh, it's not like a, it's not like I can't get over it. You know, like Nikki and Brie look a lot. The Usos looks the Usos really are so identical, they're hard to yes. tell apart. Yes, so are. it's not like I, you know, freak out, but like there's a there's a PTSD attached to it because of how bad it affected me as a kid that I go back to that memory. I go back to that place of being terrified out of my mind, but um, that's my that's my uh, own personal fear. Other than other than that, when you're a parent, your biggest fear is anything happening to your kid. Yeah, hundred percent. Nobody tells you about that when you're going to have a kid. They, they always say, "Oh, you'll never know another love like this." They, that's all they ever say. They leave out the part where you're going to be terrified for the rest of your life. Absolutely. All right. Question number six. What actor would play you in your life story? Who would play Shane Holmes? Probably Jim Carrey. I don't know. Uh, it'd have to be somebody my age. So I don't know. I mean, it had to be somebody dashingly good looking. So maybe a Hemsworth, but we'll call him Helmsworth. So maybe if the, if the Helmsworth brothers have a, a cousin that isn't super popular. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought you might say? And we had him as a guest on this show a few months back. Was David Arquette? I know that you were his stand. Yeah. You were yeah. his stand-in for Ready to Rumble. So wouldn't it have been like full circle, poetic justice, if he were to play you in the Shane Helms story? It would be poetic justice. So yeah, let's go with David. Let's go with Dave. If one of the Helmsworth guys, <laughs> one of the Helmsworth guys, could be the stand-in, we'll do that. You know, when we had when we had Arquette on, we we obviously talked about his uh, his doctor his documentary. You cannot kill David Arquette. 
and your name came up and he said he, he was trying to get so many he wanted to get so many people uh into the movie more and that one of the people were was you yeah. that he felt bad that he didn't get you more screen time so i don't know if he ever told you that but he said no, that no it's okay man we're you know we stay in touch all the time i actually helped him uh, get in contact with the people that made this new championship um and because they made him a version of the big gold and on one of the uh on one of the lower right corners or something of the of the of the belt it says hurricane on it. Wow. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I think he had one of that. If you guys come in, you know, if you do the six man thing in, in uh Ring of Honor, like there's two thirds of the team right there, you and Arquette. Okay. There we I go. Get third member. Yeah, we're gonna have to get a strong third member though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I'm 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 gonna want to spend a lot of time on the apron coaching. There you go. You just want to tag in Arquette at the end for the cover. Yeah, see, most of the time in my tag teams, I team with somebody where I had to do most of the work. I want to be the guy coming in now. I want to be the guy coming in for the hot tag. There you go. Well, and then yeah, we're tagging Dave for the end. You're no spring chicken anymore, Shane. Not at all. Okay. All right, question number seven. We'll keep it along the lines of uh, the celebrity topic. Uh, who is your or who was your celebrity crush? Oh, uh, what, what, when I was a kid? Well, it could um, be, as a, I mean, I don't want to get you in trouble with, with your with your lady now, but um, it could be now, or it could be when you were a kid, either way. Oh, man, there were so many different ones. When I was a kid, I mean, Linda Carter, I think, was the first one. Wonder Woman, massive crush. Uh, as far as sports, I remember Steffi Graf, I had a huge crush on her. Um, when I saw Aliens, Sigourney Weaver, you know, I had a massive crush. You know, I was I was more drawn to a, a powerful female than yeah. than the lowest lane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's funny uh, too that you would say Linda Carter, given that you know she was Wonder Woman. Yeah. And your affinity for comic books and and superheroes. Yeah. Yes, I mean, of course, I watched. You know, I'm saying that's why I watched Wonder Woman. And uh, um, as far as, as as I started to get older, I mean, man, I don't know. There was there was so many, but then you kind of get once you know. For me, anyway, I kind of got out of the crush phase really early once I started dating. <laughs> and I started dating really early, so I got out of it. Yeah, see, I'm I, even at my age, I'm still in it. Like, uh, I'd give it all up for Drew Barrymore. That, to this day? To this day, Drew Barrymore. I, 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 yeah. I'm, look, it's not weird. Like, uh, I didn't like her when she was in E.T. when she was a kid. I, I really discovered Drew when she went through that rebellious stage. Like, when uh, she See, I was up. really attracted to E.T. <laughs> 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 um, I know that girl that's in, uh, and I don't even know her name, but I think she's awesome in everything I see, and I should know her name, but she was just in The Mandalorian, uh, the, the episode with Sasha, the main female Mandalorian there. See, I can't was, help you because I'm not a Star Wars guy, so I don't know. She was in Battlestar Galactica, too. She was Starbuck. Can't help you. The, the Battlestar remake. Well, anybody that doesn't know it, I thought I think she's a bad See, I watched Battlestar Galactica back in like 1978. That's See, I, don't, I don't remember watching much of that. Okay. But I watched the remake and thought it was incredible. And just like, and too, everybody on there was a model just about. Right. <laughs> I'm like, man, this, uh, they really went with the cast here. But they were really good too. It wasn't just that. It wasn't, you know, one of those shows where you just have somebody that's good looking as an right. actor or actress. But just uh really that show that show was awesome and i met the main villain we did a signing in um london together and like there was all these other people there like uh 
that were, you know, uh, upper tier, whatever. But I was like, I couldn't wait to meet this guy. <laughs> I met him and I met the guy from uh, the last, did you ever see The Last Starfighter? No. God, what's wrong with you? You got to go watch The Last Starfighter. And I reckon, like, I recognized him, but I couldn't remember where from. And this is always a weird question to say, you know, but some people, because I've had people do it to me, like, who are you? Because they'll see me sign an autograph in the airport or something. It's always a weird question. You, you know, so, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's one of those. But we had been signing at the con and like they were shuttling, shuttling us back to the hotel. And so obviously I know he's a celebrity of some sort and I vaguely recognize him, but I, I don't want to be that guy. Right. And so, but now we get to the hotel and we end up in the elevator. So it's just me, him, and I take him out, my woman with me there. And I was like, hey man, and I said, I don't want to be that guy. I said, but where do I know you from? And he said something and I didn't recognize it. And then he goes, and, but he goes, but, the main the main thing I did was the last Starfighter, and I lost my. Shit. I was like, whoa! Like I turned it just complete fanboy. And then uh, the next day, I saw Mark Henry, and Mark Henry, because Mark Henry was on the thing too. I said, Mark, this is the last Starfighter, and Mark's like running around like we're like we're supposed to be these two cool wrestling stars, right? But we're just like we just totally geeked out for the, the last Starfighter. Hey man, nothing wrong with that. We we all we all have those things, so oh, yeah. nothing to be ashamed of. All right, question number eight. Are you a dog person, a cat person, both animals? Cat. Cat? Cat, cat, easy. Okay. As a matter of fact, my new wrestling shirt from ProWrestlingTees.com slash Shane Helms, the wrestling detective shirt, that's my real cat on the shirt. Okay, you have just one? One cat? Uh, right now, yeah, yeah, just one. Well, I mean, I've had multiple throughout my, my okay. life. But, yeah. Don't like dogs, huh? It's not that I dislike dogs. But what I like about a cat is, like, for me, in my experience, if you feed a dog, it'll like it. If you got bacon in your pocket, that dog's your friend. That's just how they like it. That's true. A cat, if he doesn't like you, that's just how it is. That's how it's going to be. And I love that side of a cat. You know, I love the bossiness, the attitude, the sass. And, like, a, I'm a big cat person, too. Like, I'm not, I don't have them in the house, but when you look at, like, lions and pumas and tigers and how savage they can be they're awesome to watch okay all right i get that i get that all right question number nine dc or marvel oh man i can't choose i'm like um i'm the same with comics as i am with my wrestling i don't care about the three letters that go before it Fair enough. Uh, uh, so I grew, I grew up like in, I got lucky when I was introduced to comics that I wasn't introduced to just one company. I got introduced to uh, even some independent titles when I first started reading comics. And this was when I was five, you know, early back in the, my childhood, obviously, I just said five. So um, I grew up with an appreciation for the medium. So uh, I don't really, I don't even see a purpose of people that do that. Right. It doesn't really serve a purpose to me, but. Um, a lot of good stuff on both sides. Okay, well, this is our final question, question 10. And since I know you love comics, it is another comic book question. I, you probably get asked a lot who your favorite superhero is, since obviously you did the hurricane, well, you still do the hurricane thing. But I'm going to ask you the other side of that. Who is your favorite comic book villain? Um, well, Thanos, I think, is uh, probably the best. But, you know, because Black Adam would go uh, back and forth, Black Adam is like my favorite overall character of all time. So I want to go Black Adam, but it's Black Adam and then Thanos as a close second. Because I grew up a Jim Stalling guy. You know, Captain Marvel 
M-A-R hyphen B-E-L-L was my very first favorite character. And so that's when the Avengers, like when Thanos first popped up on the screen, like that was my childhood. That's what I started reading comics from when I was here in the early, uh, late 70s, early 80s. Like that was my stuff. So I've been a fan of that stuff uh, forever. So Avengers, like Infinity War and Endgame, I was uh, I was just like a little kid in there again. That was, that was my jam. So Black Adam and Thanos are my favorites. Okay. All right, cool, cool. Well, uh, before we uh, sign off and, and, and uh, wrap up here, uh, are you still doing the Highway to Helms podcast? And, and if so, where can people listen to that? Yeah, for, for 10 years. I started, and actually I started live streaming. We were just talking about this on somebody's podcast, maybe Jericho's or somebody's, but I started live streaming 10 years ago. <laughs> That's how long I've been doing this silly mess. Wow. But um, yeah, Highway to Helms, you can, wherever your favorite podcasts are, you can find the Highway number two Helms podcast. And I'm uh, about to come up on my 70th, 70th episode of this incarnation of it, in which I haven't had any guests for 70 episodes in a row. It's just me by myself. And I try to keep it around 45 minutes, um, 45 minutes to an hour. And it's just uh, more day in the life type stuff, but also a segment dedicated just to comics, uh, you know, trying to use what, what little bit of remaining name value I have to uh, promote the comic medium. Well, and I'm sure it's very entertaining and humorous because as you told me one time, I think your direct quote was, you're a funny bastard. <laughs> I am a funny bastard. Yeah. At least to me. I laugh at all my jokes. <laughs> all right. And any other uh, places people can find you? Social media? Oh, of course. At ShaneHelms.com is where I'm at. Cross-platform. That's where you're going to find me on everything except parlor. You will never see me there. Uh, but I'm on everything. Awesome. Hey, Shane, it was great catching up with you. Thanks so much for uh, giving me so much of your time today. Oh, man, my pleasure, man. Always great catching up with you, buddy. All right, sounds good. And we're going to take another break, and we'll be back with Crowbar right after this. I'm Manny the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Andrew the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Thea the Wizard. And I'm Tracy Williams, and to see which character I'll be playing, make sure you tune in to episode three of Role Play of Honor, brought to you by Ring of Honor. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. Welcome back to the ROH Strong Podcast. My next guest is a former WCW Hardcore Champion, former WCW World Tag Team Champion, and he's also wrestled in WWE, ECW, TNA, and yes, ROH as well. He is hashtag timeless, <laughs> and, and he's another longtime close personal friend, Crowbar. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Kevin. Awesome, awesome to be here. Yes, long, long time friends. Great to be on here with you. And you left out cruiserweight champion, although there was much controversy surrounding my very brief cruiserweight reign. That's right. I did forget uh, about that. Didn't see, I didn't want to bring? I didn't want to bring it up because didn't didn't you uh, drop the title to Daphne? <laughs> we co-held the title, That's and right. then uh, it was crazy, and then. Uh, 
it was to be decided in a match between us where I actually hit her, her with one or two moves. I felt a lot of remorse. Uh, the match involved, I like sat her on, on a top rope, was about to hit her. Then I couldn't bring myself to strike her. So I walked away. She grabbed my underwear. She gave me a wedgie. And yeah, goofy stuff that my current character would have much issue with. <laughs> but uh, it, it all ended when uh, Chris Candido ran in, did like a pile driver on a chair. And then when she was checking on my fallen body, the, with the ref actually counted three while she was shaking me to revive me. But it was <laughs> it, definitely some clowning around going there, you know. <laughs> ah, yes. The, the good old days of WCW booking uh, back in 2000, 2001. That's where we first met. Yeah, uh, you, you were there as Crowbar. I came in as the editor of WCW Magazine. And that's when we became friends and we kind of um, had our little private conversations backstage. Yes. Some of the, some of the wackiness. <laughs> the, uh, all, all the craziness, yeah. Some of the craziness. Craziness like you just described, which was, um, yeah. man, you, when you look back on those days, it was uh, that last year of WCW was uh, – Something else. It was something a lot else. of fun. Though. I like. I never complain about it. it was all, always. Oh, me neither. Great, great. No, no, I say great time, crazy yep. time. But I all like I always say I just never expected to go. You know, to that level. You always aspire to do stuff like that. But you know, to actually be there, I was like a kid in a candy store. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, I was going to ask you about you know, for for fans who may have seen you back in the WCW days and maybe haven't seen a lot of you since then, you know, the question would be, well, what are you doing in uh, life after wrestling? But the truth is you've literally never stopped wrestling. Uh, nah. After WCW went down in 2001, like I said, you kept on going, maybe not on the national level, uh, but you kept on wrestling. And one thing I think that's really interesting about you, and I knew this back in the day uh, in WCW, is that you had a backup plan which was a really smart move on your part. Uh, you became a licensed physical therapist and, and you had a plan B if wrestling didn't work out. So can you just talk to me about, I know we're, I'm asking you to condense like 20 years here, but after <laughs> WCW went down, just kind of describe what your life was like in the ring, out of the ring and, and where you are today. Well, it's, you know, the fact that I had the degree and, and I, I never say this in a snarky manner. I, I had two guys. I had Jim Powers and Bill DeMott, who I met when I was a high school kid. And they were involved in the crazy at wrestling world. And they always stressed. They always were like big brothers looking out for me and saying, it's a great business to do what, if, if you love doing this, but it's an unforgiving business. It's not reliable. So make sure you get your education. So as I pursued wrestling, I simultaneously pursued college and also physical therapy. So that actually empowered and enabled me to enjoy every moment as, you know, and you know, being backstage, you know, with WCW, there were guys in great spots with great careers, but they were always on edge because they knew it was finite. If, if, if they were booked the wrong way, their career could be derailed or whatever. I just, that enabled me to just enjoy my time. And whenever it was over, it was over. So it, it, it really, to this day, and it's not fashionable within the in, uh, industry to say it if you're a pro, 
back then I was the biggest wrestling fan going and I'm probably even a bigger fan of wrestling now, which is why I continue to do it. And I've only been able to maintain that love and that passion because everything wasn't riding on it. So it, that enabled me to just truly enjoy this great freaking crazy thing that we both love. I know you're crazy about it too. So WCW ends and a little bit disappointing. I have a few dark matches with WWE F uh, whatever it was at that time. They don't pan out. Uh, TNA op opens up. And at that time I had, I had purchased a house. I had started working for a major healthcare outpatient company called Health South. And at that time, I had gotten married. TNA started, and I was actually part of a cool group. It was James Mitchell with Malice, who was the wall from WCW. Uh, Wolfie D, I forget what his name was, but we had this cool group called The New Church. And I thought we looked freaking cool. And James Mitchell just has a very unique look to him. When you're flipping the channels and you see James Mitchell, you just stop and say, Wow, what the hell is this guy about? He just has a weird look to him. A cool no look. Question, no question. I've always been a big fan of, of Jim Mitchell, the sinister minister. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you just freeze and say, wait a minute, what's this guy doing here? So, but, so we had this cool group, but TNA was on, I, I, I guess, rocky ground. It was new. And, you know, they were flying in guys to shows. They flew me in for a few shows. And then they presented me with, hey, we really need you to move down here if we're going to continue using you because we're trying to watch budget this that that's all well and good but it's they were flying other guys in and the fact that I had to move and they weren't willing to fly I me mean, that just spoke droves to me they it spoke volumes that maybe I'm not as important here as I should be and I get that and as much as I wanted to continue wrestling there uh it I like I love the group I loved working with Mitchell and Wolfie and Jerry and I thought we looked great it I had just purchased a house. I had a great job here. I had got married. And that was the really the first time in my entire life where uh, I had to make a, an, an adult hard decision and say no. Uh, Chris Ford, the wrestling fan at that point in time, wanted to leave every, everything behind, bring my wife with me, and move down there and, and figure it out. But at that point, I had to be a responsible adult, and I said, I have all this going on here. At that time, and even still now, New Jersey was loaded with great independent shows. If I wanted to work every weekend up here, I could. So I had to make that tough decision and say, I can't do that. I have too much going on here. I have a lot of security. I have a great job. I have a house. I have a wife, and there's shows every weekend. So I love what you guys are doing. I, I, I love the fact that I could be a part of this but I can't leave. And that was probably the hardest wrestling decision I made in my entire career at that point. WCW signs me. I moved right down there <laughs> immediately. You know, they said, we need you to come to the power plant first. It was, I was out. But at that point in time, it was after WCW life had changed and I had to, and, and I had to move on. And I still remember that as like my first, I say like real adult life decision where I, I had to forego something that, you know, my kid side wanted me to do and be more, I guess, responsible. I it, definitely a tough choice. Uh, yeah.
And and you were in, as you said, New Jersey at that point. They were asking you to what to move to Nashville, right? Is that yeah. DNA yes. at that time? Yeah. Well, that's yes. that's quite a that that is quite a move. I mean, that's quite a culture shock to go from uh, Jersey to to Nashville. And at that point, I continued to I flipped my life. You know, prior during WCW, I was full time wrestler. When I was home from the road, I would work in a physical therapy in, in a hospital or outpatient. I worked on, on a per diem basis. I had a, a lot of side gigs that I, I would do when I was home from the road. And at that point, I flipped my life to full-time physical therapist to part-time wrestler. And I, I really stayed close to home. I really focused more on my physical therapy career, my family. And if you weren't living in northern New Jersey or New York or sometimes Pennsylvania, maybe a tiny bit of the times, maybe as far, far south as Baltimore, I really dropped off the map because I just stayed close to home. I did it as something I loved doing. I, I stayed with it for myself. You know, there's always some side money. You know, that was my play money, spending money, whatever. You, you know, when we had kids, buy the kids some toys with it. But uh, it, it, my world flipped from full-time wrestler to part-time physical therapist to full-time therapist, part-time wrestler. And I pretty much stayed within a half hour to an hour of home max. So if you weren't in that Northern New Jersey, New York area, I pretty much dropped off the map. Right. So you had the best of both worlds because you were in the, the quote unquote, the shoot world. And I know you eventually uh, opened your own business, your own business as a, as a physical therapist. Yes. Uh, but you still got to be, you know, the typical weekend warrior and you got to do wrestling, something that you loved almost as, as a hobby and, and still do this, you know, still working in the real world. I want to ask you, though, about um, your your since we talk about physical therapy, let's talk about your physical condition, because you were known as a guy. Uh, you kind of had that extreme label. You were a guy who took big bumps. Uh, but talk to me about how you've adapted your style, how you, I mean, I hope you don't mind me giving your age. Do, do you mind? No, 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 I don't mind at all. Right. You're 40, 46 years old. And for a guy who worked that hard, uh, that demanding style, I know you're still in pretty good, uh, pretty good shape. Again, talk about how you adapted uh, and, the, and the style you use today, because you still, well, I'll let you tell it. I'll let you tell, because I think you've got a great philosophy with how you work today. Well, part of it is the fact that my background in the, Physical therapy helps, definitely helps because when you're wrestling, you're always getting hurt. You're getting banged up. You're doing this, you're doing that. And a lot of the guys are very, you know, they know their gym routines. They know how to work out. They know how to get strong. They know how to stretch, but they don't know how to deal with injuries. And a lot of them do. Uh, the easiest way to put this is every, everybody hurts their back. And nine guys out of 10 guys at, at the gym will say, well, you got to strengthen up your abs, your abs support your back, you'll be better, yada, yada, yada. If you have a bulging disc, and honestly, 80 to 90% of the population have bulging discs, they're asymptomatic, you don't know that, but if, if they flare up, they could progress and become bad things. So off, if you have a bulging disc, and this is just the best way to do it, if you start cranking out abs, which is what most guys do when they have back pain, it actually pushes the bulge out more. So that's that's a perfect example of if you know how to treat something and not just do the right things for it, but avoid doing the wrong things, you nip things in the bud so they don't become 
larger injuries. And also the fact that I, after WCW, I had the TNA thing. I had a few dark matches with WWE. Got great reactions. I'm not delusional. I was told. And at that point, there were a lot of like sheet guys and insiders that swore that I would get signed and it didn't happen. And you, we've discussed this philosophy that I have. And there's a school of thought where people say you don't give up, you keep grinding, you keep doing this, you keep doing that. And I'm a huge believer in that. And I'm grinding now and it's 20 years since WCW. But I don't believe you have to grind the whole way. I think you have to be realistic and read what's in front of you. I had the WWE uh, tryouts. The TNA thing didn't pan out. And at that time, ECW was acquired by WWE. WCW acquired by WWE. You had all these new groups trying to start up that really didn't go in, in anywhere. TNA was on sh shaky ground, and I couldn't move down there. So for that short period right after WCW, I, I – I, I was still knocking on doors, knocking, kicking, pounding on doors. And there comes a time when you're banging on a metal door with, with two padlocks on it. It's just not going to open. And no matter how hard you try, you're not going to get through. And I, I, I came up with a saying that no doesn't mean no forever. It just may mean not now. And you've got to recognize when not now is. So at that time, I had been grinding, pounding, knocking on doors, working three, four shows a weekend to stay out there. And I, I just foresaw, you could just see that it wasn't going to give. So I took a step back. I said, okay, I'm not going to beat my body up every single weekend. Uh, I'm going to work maybe one a weekend, maybe two a month, three a month. Shows that uh, I know they use a safe ring shows where they use guys that are safe to work with. And I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm still going to work very, very hard. I'm, I'm going to take less risks, but have it still look great to where the fans see a good performance. But I'm going to save my body. I go, because if, if I work three days a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and up on the East Coast, there are op opportunities on a Saturday where you could do a double shot, which is all well and good. You're going to beat your body up. So... I stopped banging on that door so hard for that point in time. I focused more on real life. It gave my body a rest and I was still doing something I loved, but, and just having that background in physical therapy helped me to nip any injuries in the bud so that they didn't progress to more serious injuries that would sideline me. And so for 20 years, I've managed to enjoy all this. I've kept stuff in perspective. I've kept a hand in wrestling enough to where I was current on everything. I still watch it because I love wrestling. So I'm still, I still know what guys are doing. I'm still proficient in what guys are doing. And I'm just smarter with the risks that I take. Uh, I think I've really put a lot of thought into, in this day and age, you've seen me work recently. I, and, and I've sent you clips and stuff. I, I, I love to find stuff that looks devastating. But when you come out of it, I'm fine, and the other guy is fine. The people think they saw something wild, and nobody gets hurt. 
uh, we're, we're going to get to the promos. You're, you're, you're creating a stir now on social media with, uh, with some of your promos. And, and we're going to get to that. But that character that you're doing now really kind of evolved out of another character that you had created on the indies, which, um, and you did some videos, some vignettes there as well, which was sort of this, the best way to describe it, I think, is sort of a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. It, is, it basically took elements of your real life because you do sort of live a Jekyll and Hyde existence where you're Chris <laughs> physical therapist, the guy who has a wife and kids and takes his kids to football games. And then there's this other side of you that is this weekend warrior who uh, does these crazy things in the ring and, and your, your patients probably have no idea or would be shocked to see some of the things that, that their physical therapist is, is doing in the wrestling ring on the weekends. Yep. So describe to me... Um, how you came up with that character. I know your wife, Dina, is part of it. And talk to me about the guy, Adam Payne, which uh, we got a glimpse of him when you did a shot in, uh, in Ring of Honor, uh, how you met Adam, who he is, and, and, and just talk about the whole, the, the ensemble that you created. I think the whole real life story, even behind the character, is cool. Uh, I'm, I met my wife right after... WCW, uh, I, I had gone down to the ECWA in Delaware, which was one of my old stomping grounds to visit. And at that time, uh, my wife had been wrestling for a while. She wasn't my wife yet. Uh, she had been wrestling a, a couple years and she was booked against Dawn Marie from uh, WWE that night. And I, I was pretty good friends with Dawn and with Simon Diamond, who at that time they were an item. And I met Dina through Dawn and Pat, uh, Simon. And we just hit, hit it off great. Uh, she wrestles. She's also in healthcare. Uh, we're married 16 years. We, she likes Star Wars. She loves wrestling. So we share all these things that we're passionate about, and it just works great. She's my best friend, great wife, great mother, the whole deal. And I love working with her, and, and it just works. Uh, Adam Payne, uh, I was working, I'm trying to think what it was. It had, to, it had to be about four years ago, maybe more. Uh, and I was on my floor working on somebody's foot. I remember the, the, the patient was on the table. I was working on her foot. I was sitting on a stool. And I see the clinic door open up. We have an open floor plan, the front desk. You know, you could see the front from the back, from the gym. And this gigantic dude walks through my door, uh, big burly beard, bald head, but a mountain of a guy. And he comes in for uh, a tendonitis in his elbow. And, and I, I recall seeing him at an independent show, act, uh, actually. Uh, and if you look back, the, with the coolest thing, there's a match between me and Joey Janela on YouTube somewhere. And at, and Adam's there as a fan in the front row, and that was his first independent show. So he comes in, but I'm at work. I have my hair pulled back that day. I have glasses on, so he's really not sure who I, I am. And then it just clicks that I'm Crowbar, and he's been to shows. And we form this rapport, which evolves into a friendship, and he expresses how much he loves pro wrestling, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and at, at, at that time, he was working full-time as well, wanted to pursue pro wrestling, and there was a local wrestling school in one town over from him that he wasn't aware of, so I referred him to that school. 
I helped him train a lot of his earlier shows. Uh, he's a legitimate army veteran. So uh, up in New Jersey, there's a lot of veteran benefit shows that are run. Uh, so once he started to train, they wanted him for all these shows, uh, even though he was very, very green. So I was actually getting booked to work with Adam. I knew his strengths. I knew his weaknesses. I knew how to make him look good. So a, a lot of his first matches were on these benefit shows, and I played the heel, and I worked with Adam, and he really learned at an amazing pace. Uh, He's very athletic for a big guy, ridiculously strong. And we started off working against each other. And I've always had this idea of, you know, the, my wife wearing like the Venetian gown and mask, a big bodyguard. And in, in, later on, we could talk about where it's at now, but now he's, he's evolved into a sommelier, like a <laughs> wine specialist as, as, as well in, Wrestling is a lot of bodyguards. He's an attendant and a sommelier as well as a tag team partner. And so anyway, it's three people that came together with a cool story. We share this great bond. And at that point in time, more and more of my patients were seeing me do local shows around my area. And the most common thought, almost verbatim, they would all say, wow, you're like, Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, you know, you're in here and you're treating people, getting them better. And you're going out there. I brought my grandson or I brought my son or I brought my nephew or niece and you were an animal. He goes, how's this happen? That's, that's actually, and that actually spurred that, that, uh, uh, I'm trying to think that part of the character, that evolution, that first Jekyll and Hyde evolution of the character on and you know I like hope you don't mind me saying we you know I, I I often turn to you for advice on this and you really helped me along with that first part of the character there and 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 it was pretty cool yeah it, 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 I, I thought you really uh tapped into something there because I think anytime you can take elements of real life and then just sort of incorporate that into a character and accentuate it which obviously that I mean you do have this Jekyll Hyde existence per, in, in a sense, but it's not like you, your wife walks around with, you know, eyes wide shut masks on and, and uh, uh, you, you have, you know, frilly, fluffy, what do they call puffy shirts? And, yeah. well, and, not, well, not that you know of. Not that I know of, exactly. <laughs> uh, but you really created like, you know, like this, this gothic element to it. And the story was, that, you know, yes, you have a regular job and a wife and kids and, and all these things. And, and we, you know, showed that in the video of you taking your, you know, you at work and you taking your kids to football practice. And then we cut that to what you do on the weekends and how you evolved into this Mr. Hyde character because you, you have this need to indulge in violence and your only outlet is the ring. Because if you didn't do it in the ring, you, it would it would uh, seep into your real life, and that would be. Yeah. It was just it was a really interesting character, um, and I thought you played it played it really well. And you got we got to see a, a little bit of it in in Ring of Honor uh, in 2019. You got a match against Eli Isom on TV, and then in 2020 you were at Free Enterprise uh, in Baltimore, and you took place in the, in the Battle Royal there. And I want to ask you about those two experiences. First, what was it like working with Eli? being back on international television after such a long time away. Well, it's, and 
uh, going there for the first time was awesome. You know, uh, you know, and, and I thank you for that, you know, uh, like helping to get me that uh, opportunity to bring me in there. It was an awesome, awesome experience, but the real life, what's, what's going on for Chris Ford is I had been kind of on the independence for 20 years. And at that time, you know, when you first leave WCW and you're doing a TNA thing and all that, you know, everybody in the locker room and yet you have a camaraderie with everybody. And when I first went there uh, for that show in December, which aired in January, every, everybody was super cool. Everybody was super nice, but you, you're going into somewhere where you really know not a lot of people. A lot of the guys that I ran with are now gone and they're either long retired or they really don't do it a lot. And for me, it, it was a really strange situation where I'm going into a locker room and I really know almost nobody or at least nobody well. And it's very odd, you know, when you're doing this almost 30 years, you know, you start out and you see a certain guys and you evolve with them through the years and the years and years. And you know how it goes. Like you go to this show, that show, it's, you know, some of the roster may change, but it's always generally guys that you know, or you've run with and everything. And it really was the first wake up call where, wow, I'm probably really one of, I'm one of the last guys left of my crew. You know, there's a very small number of us. I never leaned on my veteran card and I think that was an, an asset. Like I, I, uh, I did an interview a few weeks ago and I brought up that I still watch modern. I like older wrestling, but I watch modern wrestling because I feel it's my, I have to be proficient on what guys are doing, what the newer moves are. Uh, traditionally in the locker rooms, it was always, if you were working with a veteran guy, if I was coming up and working with a veteran guy, I knew I had to tone down what I was doing to accommodate the veteran. And it, it was respectful and it was just what was done. And that's cool. And I get it. I always, ne I never wanted to be that guy. I, I always strove to be the guy where they say crowbars here, but he could do all your stuff. So you won't have to ha have to tone it down. You won't have to pull back. You'll be able to do the stuff that people know that you do. So that way, uh, I know I'm the new guy now, but the fans of hypothetically e Eli Isom will still be able to see the moves that they are used to seeing Eli do. So I, I've always prided myself on having the younger guys not have to tone down or hold back what they're doing. And that was part of the experience. So I'm going in there. I really don't know anybody well, although everybody's super, super respectful. And now I'm wrestling Eli, who's a newer guy, they tell me. And I want to make sure that I make him look great and that he's able to do the stuff that he wants to do. And my objective that night was, one, to not hurt nobody, <laughs> to show guys that I can still go and go on, on a level where your guy didn't have to slow down his stuff on my account. And I wanted to tell a story. I'm still a fan of that old school with the managers, the, you know, the interference, a heel cheating, which stuff like that. So it's, I, I, I had a lot of things circulating in my head that I wanted to accomplish. And <laughs> there, there was like a whirlwind of thoughts going on that night. So we finally go out into Philly 
I, I have what I thought was a like solid match with Eli. First night with the company, you know, there's always this wrestling dynamic where you want a good showing, but you don't want to do too much because that's that's heat too. So there's a lot of wrestling things that the fans don't realize that goes on in your head when you're in a situation like this. You want a good showing. You want to make the other guy look good. You want to show you're willing to work hard and do some wild stuff, but you don't want to do too much because then you're trying to steal a show. There's there's a lot of wrestling etiquette that goes on, and it's it's actually it's a lot of nerves going on there. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot to think about because you don't want to misstep. Absolutely. Well, I want to. Um, I thought you talked about telling a story and I think you did. Uh, and let's, you know, let's look at the landscape. You're coming in as a veteran, as a guy who has a name, but Eli is the guy who's up and coming and is, uh, a, a, you know, he's the guy, he's, he's an ROH guy and he's sticking around. Whereas this was sort of a one shot deal at that point. Well, it turned into a two shot deal and who knows, uh, you know, beyond that. But um, you know, Eli's the guy who's going to be there after this match is over. So the idea is to, Make him look good, as you said, put him over. Uh, but you told a, a realistic story. And, you know, you have your wife as the valet. You have Adam, who's this big, hulking uh, manservant slash bodyguard. Um, and, and you use them to your advantage. And I think the story was that Eli is younger than you and, and you know, could probably out-wrestle you because he's the baby face and you're the heel. But you have these two people at ringside at your disposal and you use them to cheat and gain the advantage. But in the end, uh, you know, good prevails over evil. And Eli comes out looking good. And, and it looks like, you know, he had to fight for the victory. So he had to overcome these obstacles of this veteran who can still go and has two people at ringside as a distraction. So I think the whole thing, you know, really worked. And look, ROH has a high standard, as you know, like you, you can't, perform in ROH unless you can work. And I think the fact that you came in, did, did business, you know, and, and I think that's why that, that second opportunity came at uh, Free Enterprise, which for, if people don't remember, that was the show we did in Baltimore. And um, it was at the UMBC Event Center in Baltimore and was packed. What was that feeling like? I mean, it's one thing, okay, so you face Eli um, in the uh, ECW arena right? Was that where that was? Yes. Yep. Which obviously smaller venue, very cool venue, a lot of history, but smaller. You're walking out at UMBC in front of how many ever thousands of people were there. I don't know. What was that like to be back on that, that level, that stage again, to come out and see all those people there? It was definitely this, uh, you know, ECW arena was great. There was a lot of history there i've been there a lot of times but now when you guys are there the stage is there the lights are there it's it's a whole big production then we're going into this larger venue many 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 more thousands of fans uh it's it, it just you know quite play it, it felt great it felt really good uh being out there in front of a larger crowd a larger venue and that was probably the largest venue that i i, I had been at and probably i i I say 16 or 18 years, you know what I mean? So it emotionally is like, not even okay to say, emotionally it felt great. Uh, it, it felt very satisfying. It was a great experience for my wife and Adam who had never done anything on that 
level either. And uh, just for us to do that together, we're such a tight-knit crew that have history together. For us to do that together, it meant a lot. And, and I know that's not stuff you hear wrestlers say because it's not professional or it's not fashion. It meant a ton. It, it was very satisfying. And even if we don't do anything else from this point in, it was a feel-good moment. And for that, uh, well, for that picture in time, uh, we, we did something really, really cool together. What are your thoughts in general on, because I know you are a fan of, of wrestling, all wrestling, um, thoughts on ROH since we've had this, uh, for lack of a better word, a restart. Uh, as you know, we were on hiatus because of the pandemic for about six months. Finally came back in August to do a set of TV tapings, did another set uh, last month. Uh, the ROH Pure Title Tournament was sort of our calling card uh, coming out of that hiatus. What are your thoughts on, on what ROH is doing today and uh, specifically what we did with the Pure Title Tournament? I am a big fan of like more a more re realistic version of wrestling uh i do like characters sprinkled in there but at the end of the day when it's it's presented in more of an old school fashion where it's there's some of your what i call wrestling bs a little bit of character or promo and but as when the whole thing is grossly presented as legitimate i like it better uh, I don't judge people who are into like uh, these comedy things or I'm not a fan of death matches. I'm not a fan of intergender matches and all that type of stuff. If you watch it, that's great. It's different. But me personally, I, I keep up on every, everything so I know what's going on. But if I'm going to watch wrestling as a fan, you know, and I said it before, I'm not embarrassed to say it. It's not fashionable. Still a huge fan of pro wrestling. I'm going to watch something more like the pure tournament rather than a death match or some kind of comedy match between two guys doing goofy stuff. Not judging that it's wrong. There are fans for it. But for me as a fan, I enjoy what you guys are doing. I enjoy wrestling more of that genre. Than others so I really like what you guys are doing a lot and you're doing it more than anyone else right now the way it's being presented as more you know we're not insulting anybody's intelligence as far as legitimacy but I mean the way it's presented is something that makes me want to watch as opposed to other stuff you see right it's it's being presented like you said sort of in an old school way where it's, it's treated as a sport, although we're not trying to uh, hoodwink anyone that, I mean, this isn't the brawl for all, right? That we're not doing actual shoots here, but we're treating it that way in the presentation. And it makes it much easier to get caught up in it, suspend your disbelief. Uh, and I think the sit down interviews that our production uh, team has been putting together as well. I'll give a shout out to our guy, Zane Decker. Uh, the yeah, it's awesome. Interviews, I think, um, have been really good and not just uh, on the production side and the way they're shot, but the guys themselves. Uh, I think there's something to be said for letting these guys sit down, tell their, a lot of it, their real life stories blended in with the characters that they're playing, their personas that they have now. 
and and suddenly you understand i'll give a great example kenny king and shane taylor when you first see that on paper you're like well that's what we refer to as a cold match uh they don't they're not in an angle or a program right now uh why you know and if you just threw that match out there yes the commentary team could maybe give some background on their history but it's not the same as what we saw from them which is they sit down and they do these sit downs and they talk about their history together. I hear from Shane Taylor why it's important for him and his legacy that he must beat Kenny King. And we go back and we show a moment from, I think it was 2018 or 2017, where they had a match together. And afterwards, Shane is kind of uh, despondent and sitting on the edge of the, the apron. And Kenny King comes up. I don't even know if this was caught on TV at the time, but comes up, gives him a hug and says to him, um, off mic, you don't know how good you're going to be yet. And so then we have wow. Shane in this sit-down interview talking about that, talking about what that meant to him, how it sparked him uh, to do the things he went on to do in his career. And then we hear from Kenny why he said that to, to Shane. And, you know, they were in a group together called The Rebellion. It was short-lived, but they were in a faction together. They talk about that. And, and then, we, you know, we have Kenny saying, we have this history and, you know, now we're facing each other. It's not personal. It's business. I understand that. And, and it really does come off like it could be a boxing match. It could be an sure. MMA match. Uh, these guys, you know, they don't have to be in a blood feud. Um, and suddenly that match, you're so much more interested in now. There's something there. It sucked you in. Absolutely. It sucks you in. And, and if we didn't have those sit downs, you, the match would not feel the same, even though both guys are great performers and they put on a hell of a match, et cetera, et cetera. And commentary team, you know, Ian, Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman do a great job. They'll tell the story and fill in the blanks, but still having that sit down to set up the matches, I think, um, you know, and I take no credit for this. I had no part in, in that part of the, you know, the process or whatever that goes to our, uh, our booker. And that goes to, like I said, our production team and then the talent for carrying it off because, you know, you worked in WCW uh, with Vince Russo when there were there were scripts. I worked in WWE writing the scripts. And, you know, there are pluses and minuses to that, for sure. And everybody likes to work differently. But, you know, there are no scripts here. And I think in this setting, it's really working to have guys like, you know, all of the guys. I, I use Shane and, and Kenny as, as examples, but all the guys that have been doing these sit-downs is like, hey, you know, we prompt them with questions. And then, you know, you don't hear the questions, you just hear their answers. That would, that's so much different than if we were to write everything down for them, hand it to them and say, all right, memorize this and, and recite it. It's just a different, it's just a different way. And nothing against doing it that way. Obviously, WWE has been very successful doing that. Um, but I think for, the, for this presentation and for what ROH is doing, like, I think it, it really, it really works. And, and it stands out. I know we're tooting our own horn here, but um, I do think it stands out. Give it away. It's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about another, uh, about one of, one of the guys on our roster that I know that you know very well, um, and that's PCO. I know when, when you and I talk about him, uh, you refer, you know him as Pierre, right? When we call him PCO now, uh, Pierre Carl Olette. Um, there's some parallels, I think. And again, you and I have talked about this in your career and his career. He's a guy that has been around a long time, um, sort of disappeared from, from the, uh, and I think he, there was a, a point where he was out of the business for a little while, 
But uh, then there was a point where he came back and was just maybe doing indies in the Montreal area. Then all of a sudden, he's back um, on the national scene, and he's back now with the Ring of Honor and totally uh, reinvented himself. But I know you go way back with him, back to the time that you were at the uh, Dory Funk Dojo with him. And, and you've told me this story. Would you please tell the story of what that was like back then? Okay. So at that time, I had graduated uh, physical therapy school, and I was working at a hospital. And uh, I, I had done a few stunts for stints for WCW on, on a nightly basis as Neon Green, Devin Storm with the, with the blonde hair and these outlandish outfits. And I had a little stint with ECW and then Ace Darling and I went back to WCW and then uh, uh, nothing really materialized there. So I had started working uh, and I get this call to be part of the Funkin' Dojo, which is a big deal at that time. I, like at that point in time, WWE would bring guys into Stanford that they were looking at from the in, uh, independents or guys that maybe were uh, on their main roster at one time and were released or guys that were on their main roster had gotten injured and they wanted to get them back uh, up to speed. Uh, so if you get a call for this, you got to go. So I had this job at a hospital and, uh, and I, I had asked my boss, I said, Hey, I have this great opportunity. Uh, it's in Stanford. And I had spoken with WWE and I arranged where, you know, the morning of these dojos, you would go to the weight room and then the afternoon was all ring work and the simulated matches and live matches and doing promos. So I, 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 I arranged with them where I could get there by one o'clock. So it was the craziest thing. I would speak to my boss and I found a way to condense my patient caseload from seven in the morning until a quarter to 12, I would clock out and I would drive from the Meadowlands, which is where I lived about at that time, up to Stanford, up to, speeding up there to make it in time for the, after, the afternoon so that I fulfilled my work commitment, but also got to the dojo. And uh, Pierre was there. Uh, and I think prior to that, he was Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Uh, he was doing like the pirate gimmick. And I, they either let him go or he got hurt. I'm really not sure what the deal was, but he, he was there. Uh, Kurt Angle was there. Christian was there. There were Dr. Death. There were a lot of guys before they got brought up or their test was there. And uh, basically the premise was uh, we got an opponent for the end of our week uh, that we had to t – we, we did matches and promos every day, but we knew at the end of the week we were going to have this one bigger match. And I was there also with Steve Carino and Chris Daniels, and uh, we would watch. And Pierre captivated the entire locker room that was there. He had this crazy character, very – not exact, but very eccentric and crazy like what he's doing now, but – different and he was always a big dude that could do and he was flipping off the top back flipping front flipping and the guys there were in amazement how well this guy could move you know uh and but he he started his promos on monday and 
they told the story from promo to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday. To, and it was so crazy, but nobody knew. It sucked everybody in, but nobody knew where it was going. So his character name was Taz. And we're like, what is this? And he had this story about getting a blood transfusion from a guy in Puerto Rico, which <laughs> changed his, it, it was so, where he was stabbed and he almost died and he got a blood transfusion. I forget the guy's name for the life of me. I, I, I feel, I wish I could tell it right. A, a legendary guy from Puerto Rico, a wrestler. I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. But he got a blood transfusion, which affected him and he made him into this crazy guy. And so each day he's talking about Nataz and the Book of Scoops. And we don't know what the, what the Book of Scoops is, but every, the way he told the story, the way he looked, uh, he was so in character. Like you could tell he believed, and I'm not even exaggerating. I'm not blowing smoke up his butt or your butt. We were sucked in to every word this freaking guy was saying, and we couldn't wait to see where it was going. Besides his match, which was all, always great, and it involved this gigantic guy flipping off the rope, big power moves, amazing stuff for a guy his, his size. We were trying to figure out what, what is Nataz, who is Nataz, and where's it's going. So it's going to day to day to day to day. And at the end of the week, he's wrestling Steve Bradley, who at that time, great independent guy. He was like a, a taller, larger version of Rob Van Dam, very athletic. And he's wrestling Steve Bradley. And Nataz pulls out the book of scoops. And all of a sudden, he flips out, starts ripping up the book of scoops. And the long and short of it is Nataz is Satan spelled backwards. And nobody picked that up at all nobody got it the whole week so that was a big reveal and his book of scoops was like the satanic bible or something <laughs> but steve bradley in the angle steve bradley replaced it with the real bible as a swerve and and like i guess the goodness in the bible affected him so there was some great wrestling but some outstanding what i call great wrestling wackiness that sucked you in and made you want to watch it. In my opinion, it was so crazy, but it didn't lack on the athletic or the wrestling side. It, it was entertaining as hell to watch. And even back then, he believed it. And if you think about it, it was a gimmick that most people would think was off the wall or crazy. He pulled it off. He believed in it. He didn't care what people thought. And that brings me to now. I, I had heard whispers of Pierre coming back I don't know when it was five four or five years ago whatever it was and there were a few veteran guys still around and all the old school guys ah he's crazy he's 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 doing these crazy moves he's gonna get himself hurt you know he's this age you know why is he even trying and you know going back then I'm in my 40s and as a lot of the older guys were crapping on it I found extreme inspiration in it because there's not a guy there's not a lot of guys like me and as I say it again if you know slap me if I'm being repetitive I'm a huge fan of this I love doing this and for somebody at his age to reinvent himself and still be doing what he's doing in the ring and working as hard as he's working in the ring taking the risks that he's taking in the ring not only is he like he determined, but I challenge 
anybody to say that there's not a love for this business in that person right there. So although we hadn't been in contact watching what he was doing and his story, extremely inspirational to me at that age in life when, and I have a lot of great friends in the industry. I have good friends that say I'm nuts for what I'm doing because I have my outside life. And unless you love what we do, like very few of us do, you don't get it. And as I saw this story happen on the internet and I would watching the YouTube matches and this and that. And a lot of older guys or even a lot of the younger guys mocked it. Who is this old guy trying to do X, Y, and Z? And to see where he is now, I, I saw a lot of parallels with myself and it was very inspirational. It made me feel good. And it made me say, yeah, you know, although I always shared, I've always had this mindset, ignore what people say and do what you feel is right, what you feel in your heart, uh, what you feel inclined to do, what you want to push yourself to do. Pierre just reinforced that, and I was like, F yeah, this guy gets it, and if he's doing it, it's going to inspire me to just do it too. And, it, he, and it, I'm, I'm not close friends with him. We don't speak often. I love when I see him at events. I'll check in with an IM here or there, but even though we're not in close contact or speak often, it, just his story is incredibly inspirational. And I think that's one of the things, outside of the PCO character, in ROH, which is very entertaining. His matches are wild and entertaining. I feel, as, as a fan, and I think other fans are captivated by the incredible true life story of what's going on there. Oh, no, there's no doubt. And it's like, you know, what I said earlier to you about how you took real life and, you know, this Jekyll Hyde existence and turned it in, you know, pumped it up a little bit, turned the volume up volume up, as we say, and created a, a character out of it. Same thing with PCO. You know, he, he, his character is, uh, you know, he was basically <laughs> brought back from the dead by Destro, and, and he's this Frankenstein monster. Uh, but it, it parallels with his real-life story, which is, for all intents and purposes, his career was dead and buried in pro wrestling, and he came back to life and has revived it and now it's become like this unstoppable monster i mean he went on to be ring of honor world champion uh wrestle at madison square garden so yeah it is, it is definitely an inspiring story and i love hearing the story though about nataz because you can see sort of the early stages or the genesis of what became pco and this you know french canadian frankenstein it's yes like, absolutely for, for, for kind of being, uh, you know, this monster back then. So Nataz obviously popped all the boys, but I'm curious, what did the people run? <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if we were going here or not. Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> That's what the word was uh, uh, among the guys was, was the office. Something to the effect, sure, we're doing the attitude error, this, that, the other thing, but to call yourself Satan, this is crazy, and – I think it was too extreme for the attitude era at that time. I just love the creativity of it. And, and, that, and, and that, was all, that was all him. And, and outside of that too, you see guys deliver promos and you know, a lot of guys it's in their character just to speak. Uh, when I do mine now, I tend to use my hands a lot and move my head, but he's a very, even now when you see him, you know, although he talks a little bit and you grow, he's a very, animated speaker the nataz promos they were his speaking was 
something that sucked you in, but his hand motions, his body motions was extremely animated. And I personally feel that's a lost art in, in today's wrestling. He captured you with what he was saying, but also his body motions. Like, uh, like I bring up Randy Savage way back in, in a day, even when he wasn't saying something, his hands would be moving or he would have a tick with his head a certain way. His body moved the whole time. And I think there's, there's something, whether it's on a, an overt or a subconscious level, you're listening to what the guy says, but your brain is processing these motions. And I think it makes you watch more intently. And I think it sucks you in. I don't know if I'm getting too deep with this or, or if no, I'm getting no, not at all. over analytical. I think something could be said for guys that cut an animated promo without being too over the top. Whatever Pierre was doing there with the Natas worked and the words were great, but his animation was incredible. And that's a great, that is a great segue to go into our break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about what you're doing currently now with your character and how you're incorporating some of those elements into it and, uh, and really uh, creating a bit of a buzz, uh, as I said earlier, on social media. So we'll take a break and we'll be back with Crowbar right after this. Friday, December 18th at 9 p.m., Ring of Honor Wrestling presents Final Battle on Pay-Per-View. After months of darkness, a new era of honor has risen from the ashes. See ROH athletes such as the new pure champion Jonathan Gresham, EC3, the Briscoe Brothers, plus Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, and many more. Find out why honor has always been real. Friday, December 18th at 9 p.m., it's Final Battle on Pay-Per-View. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Crowbar. You may have also known him as Devin Storm back in the day. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, and if people aren't following you on uh, Twitter, I think they really should. Um, give us your – what is your Twitter handle, just so we can get that out there? At WCW Crowbar. Okay, perfect. So – we talked about this Jekyll and Hyde character that you did and you've sort of evolved it. And um, I don't know the, the best way to describe it. I, I'm not, you're commenting, you're doing commentary almost, not, not commentary like announcing, but just sort of um, a, a, you're giving your takes on things that are going on in the wrestling world, sometimes in the real world, but I, it's your creation, so I will let you describe it. Talk about the character, uh, the creativity that's gone into it, and um, and just and some of the feedback I guess that you're getting from from fans and peers alike. Yeah, so, COVID hits. You know, we've all been hit by this, and yeah, as I said, I, I love wrestling. Like again, not ashamed to admit it. Very open about it, and I can't wrestle. There's no wrestling going on, and. I felt like I had gotten momentum with the ring of on, on, on our shows I did, whether they would have been long-term or not. It was still something, and it was very invigorating. It, it, like, pumped some life. It, I was always serious about the wrestling, always into what I was doing. But it gave me – it was a lot of fun. It, 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 you know, and I thank you for that to this day. It really – it was a great experience for me, my wife, and Adam. And I'm like, we have something cool here. I think there's something here, but I, I – can't just let it die because of this whole pandemic thing. We got to find something to do. 
And I had never really delved into promos before. It was never uh, Crowbar, the WCW character, not really one that would talk off and I would talk here or there. And, and so it, it wasn't something that I usually did. And most people assume that uh, I can't cut a promo, like I can't talk. And if, if we get personal about it, I think it'll help the interview. I think it's interesting. I grew up as a horrific stutterer. I could barely get out a sentence here or there. And if you see me often in with the locker room, you know, sometimes it's worse, sometimes it's better, you know, wherever it lands. Uh, but most people assume that I can't cut a promo. And lo and behold, all these years, whenever I get into character mode, it just, I'm able, I'm able to nail it. I'm able to do it. And it's, it's something that I could always do that many thought that I couldn't do. Uh, so COVID hits, I have this basis of a cool character. I, 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 like I think, and I say, okay, where can I bring this? And I had the template of Jekyll and Hyde, but uh, although it was true, I, I thought we could bring it a different way and make it more real as opposed to being overtly a normal guy that is, that goes crazy and he's gothy. Uh, and I was just trying to decide where it goes. And for years, I've a lot of wrestling friends would say, you know, I have great friends that say, why the F are you still doing this? I, I go, you're going to get hurt. You're banging your body up. You have a family, you have a business you're doing very very well and i'm not being snarky at all I'm, I'm just trying to tell this story they all say why would you even do this and many of them have also said if you are going to do a character why don't you just be a, a real a-hole you know saying i don't need this but i do it because i'm good at it and i can yada 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 and that has been said to me for years and finally i tried to look at how i could evolve the Jekyll Hyde thing, which had great components and, in, and integrate this other part of the character, which is kind of like real life, but it's, if you know me, it's not me at all. I'm a, I like to think I'm a humble guy. I uh, like, I like Star Wars. I like family. I like collectibles and I enjoy being with the fans. I enjoy speaking with the fans. I enjoy, uh, you know, doing all, all that type of stuff. But I, I decided to, if I, if I wasn't Chris Ford, if I was an a-hole and I had all this stuff going on for me that's going on, what would the character be? And I came up with this guy that listens to classical music and he's more of a traditionalist when it comes to wrestling, not just wrestling-wise, but more of, uh, you know, guys that wear ring gear and embrace the more old-school stuff, but... and. As I'm doing a promo, I have the classical music. I use hand mannerisms and stuff like that. I'm basically an elitist, eccentric snob that just, uh, and I have all this other stuff going on, but I still have that need to fill that violent urge that I have. And I do it via pro wrestling. And at the same time, I'm looking down on all this non-traditionalist wrestling stuff that I see going on. And I've actually gotten great feedback. More traditional fans love what I'm doing. And I've gotten some, I mean, some vicious feedback from probably 
high school and college age kids that like the newer style <laughs> said stuff about me, my family, uh, <laughs> and all kinds of, and so it's, it's really cool that I'm able to elicit that visceral response from somebody and how I say for just a moment in time, maybe make people believe in Santa again. You know, they believe, well, this guy's a real a-hole and I don't like him. And it's been a lot of fun. And because there's no matches going on for me right now, uh, it's a challenge to cut a promo when there's no challenger, when there's no match. So what it becomes is basically a commentary on what this character would see all the ridiculous stuff going on in a wrestling is. And that's what it's evolved to. Maybe you could help describe what you see better. I'm, I'm trying to put it in to words the best I can. Yeah, no, I think, I think you've summed it up pretty well. I think you've characterized it very accurately. I would, I would say it's a little bit of, and you know, I'm sure our fans are very familiar with, with Jim Cornette, who has very strong views on modern wrestling and what wrestling should be. I think there's a little bit of an element to that, although it's also very different than what Jim does. Um, but I think it's also cool what you've done. Uh, you mentioned the mannerisms. Uh, you also have props, uh, basically a, a, a wine glass. Uh, the promos always feature you pouring a, a glass of wine and uh, pouring a, a, out of a wine bottle into a glass and taking a sip or whatever. And, and you've gotten into, like, this isn't just you standing in front of your wall at your house either. Like, you've got a green screen and you've created these really cool looking backdrops, whether it's a wine cellar or, you know, some elaborate dining room in your castle or your lair yeah. or wherever we, we find you. Um, and here's the thing. I think there's, there's a couple of things that really strike me. One is that you're getting a reaction out of people. And you mentioned the character is kind of an a-hole and sort of a heel, but there are some people who will look at it. And again, it, it kind of reminds me again of Cornette. A certain, a certain segment of the audience are going to hate what you're saying. And it is a lot of the younger fans who like a certain style and maybe some of the um, elements of current wrestling that go against the traditional wrestling. Uh, they hate what you're doing. And, and you're getting like legit heat. Like it's almost like, uh, nasty again, stuff like nasty nasty stuff <laughs> like they really they, like they're buying in which like you've you've got them like you've 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 they've bought into the work which is awesome but then you also speak to you know some of those traditional fans who are like man i agree he's right like I, I agree with everything he's saying so i think you always know you're on to something when you know you can piss off uh some people and and you know appeal to other people and it's it's really up to the person's interpretation of whether your what you're saying is more of a baby face or a heel uh, uh, point of view, right? So I think I think that is is what works. And where all this ultimately goes is this character. I'm not saying I'm not going to wrestle or uh, with the modern style. I think where the beauty comes is when this guy who shows such disdain for the modern style and dives and comedy wrestling either when he gets into a situation with one of these guys and you know like hypothetically a comedy guy that I've crapped on and talked down on and uh you know spit on the ground in front of saying what you do is garbage when they turn their offense whatever it is on me it's going to elicit it 
a reaction of elation from their supporters. And the more traditional guys are like, oh, damn it. You know, he hit him with uh, whatever Danhausen put the teeth in his mouth. Ah, oh, damn it. You know, he's doing that stupid stuff. Uh, I think there's a story there. And because I used to do that style and I still do some, you know, like with Eli Isom, I, you know, I tried to plot a Vader bomb off the guardrails. I did the top rope, her Arakrana, some springboard stuff, uh, slingshot stuff rather. Uh, I, I know how to base for all those moves. So if this character ever works with, a younger guy that does this more wild high spot thing. Again, going back to what we said before, they're not going to have to not do or tone down their style on my, my account. The pop's going to be when this traditionalist a-hole falls victim to all these fancy moves that he's been talking down on for months and months and months. Absolutely. And I, you know, the other point I was going to make was um, how, you know, it's working, not just, not just the reaction that you're getting, whether, you know, you're getting an emotion, whether people love it or hate it. Um, but you're also getting people imitating it. And I've, I've seen yeah. fans, <laughs> fans have, I mean, you know, you've created something that's distinct when it can be imitated. And, and I'm seeing fans imitating the style of promo where they have the classical music playing. It's shot in black and white. <laughs> with the same cadence that you're using and they might have the glass of wine. And so I think that in itself, it's really cool. Very flattering <laughs> that you've done something that's so distinct. You can imitate it. Yep. It's cool. Definitely cool. All right. Well, definitely. I, again, I, I encourage people to, if you haven't seen them, check them out um, at WCW crowbar is, uh, is, is, is the Twitter handle. And are we going to start seeing these on YouTube by any chance? I put them up there. It's actually, there's a link uh, pinned uh, to the top of my page. So if, if you go to at WCW Crowbar, there's a link there. So there's a, a page WCW Crowbar, Devin Storm Wrestling Promos, and it has stuff in uh, chronological order of the, like, the way that I've done the promos as well. Okay. But it's awesome. also, there's a link pinned to the top of my uh, Twitter page as well. So I do want to touch on a little bit of the, the WCW days and uh, working with Daphne and Ric Flair, uh, Ric Flair, working with Daphne and David Flair. Uh, can you just talk about that a little bit, how that group got put together? And it seemed like you guys had really, really good chemistry. And it was, it was interesting because I know Daphne, um, Shannon, as, as we know her as, was, was basically had an acting background, no yes. real wrestling background. Um, you were the wrestler. Uh, and David obviously was the son of the Nature Boy Ric Flair, but wasn't a wrestler himself at that point. He was just kind of thrown into it. So it was interesting, these three people from three different backgrounds, but it worked. Yes. Uh, I, I had already been signed and I was working on the Saturday Night Show. Uh, as Devin Storm, a more gothy, dark, evil Devin Storm. And I was being groomed to be brought up as, as like, a, eventually like a, like a bigger, aggressive, more like uh, ex extreme type cruiserweight guy. And, and I had worked a Saturday night show for probably, I'm thinking eight, nine weeks. And at that time, David Flair was on the show as, as like a nut going around backstage 
he was talking Kimberly, I think, and just tearing stuff up. And as the story goes, what I was told was for whatever reason, when they broke down the with the ratings, David was pulling ratings. He was pulling for whatever reason, people would tune in and what the hell is this guy doing? He he made people want to watch. The only downside was David couldn't wrestle or he was a very weak in-ring wrestler. So you have this guy that people want to watch, but he's limiting you as far as what you, you could do with him because he's not really a wrestler. So I guess the story goes, they figured out that the solution would be they would put him in a tag team and his partner would do the majority of the in-ring work. Uh, so I, I believe the first step was they – had a casting call to find a, a girlfriend for him, and that was Daphne. Uh, and they were doing their thing, and you know, so he, he's out there, he's with Daphne, but they still can't have him wrestle because he can't wrestle. Uh, so the story, as I was told, uh, they had Nitro in Denver, Colorado, I, uh, like I believe. The Saturday night show was either shot the next day or the following day, so Nitro had ended the crew came back to the Denver hotel. I had flown in to do Saturday night the next day. And I was at the restaurant bar and every, and everybody was there at, at the restaurant bar when the show was on getting something to eat. And I, I walked in and I, I like, I believe either Ed Ferrara or Bill Banks told me the story was Vince saw me walk in. He liked my look. And I guess one thing led to the other. They, researched how I worked or whatever I could do. And they decided to put me with David Flair. And, uh, and just, just I, to add for a second, when you say Vince, Vince Russo, obviously. Russo. Yes. Yes. Not, and, not, uh, not the Vince, the other Vince. Vince Russo. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, they decided to put us together and it, 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 it was either the next week or the following week. They gave me a call saying we need you in Salisbury, Maryland. We're going to put you with, David Flair and Vampiro, they're doing something. So I had no idea if I was joining Vampiro or joining David Flair or what, because during the Saturday night stint, Jimmy Hart had an idea where he wanted me to team with Vampiro as well. So my first thought was, okay, I'm, I'm teaming with Vampiro. I get down there and they say, uh, David Flair is going to pull into a gas station. You're going to be the attendant. Uh, and at that time, on all the shows, he was whacking people with a crowbar. He had lost his mind, and he was beating the hell out of people. He was bludgeoning people with a crowbar at random. Uh, you, you guys are going to have a conversation. Uh, he's going to ask you what your name is. You're going to say your name is Crowbar, and then your eyes are going to meet like something clicked. You're going to have this demented laugh, and later on, Vampiro's going to show up with the Misfits, who was kind of cool. That's a like a punk band from New Jersey and you're going to save them by whacking them all with this pipe. And the very next week. And again, I, I was told by all my older friends, my journeyman wrestling friends, not to put it over, but I couldn't hide what I was feeling. I show up at nitro the next week and I'm winning the tag titles with David flair, mind blowing. <laughs> and not just winning the tag titles, but you defeated Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner. It will yes. go down in the history books, the record Yes. Book. Crowbar and David Flair defeated Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner for the WCW World Tag Team titles. I don't remember that match. I assume 
there was a lot of uh, bells and whistles and, and, and outside interference. Oh, no, not at all. It was a straight job. They were quaking in fear. And oh, of course. <laughs> like, they laid down. They, did, well, they knew better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it was actually uh, – we had interference from Arn, uh, you know, which is also – I'm out there. We're going to win the tag belts, and we're being helped by Arn and Anderson. Complete markout moment. Yeah, that's that is awesome. Well, yeah. when we talk about markout moment. I want to ask you about another guy, another legend that you uh, had a program with over the WCW Hardcore title. Actually, got to wrestle him at Starcade, and that's Terry Funk. Yes. What was, what was that experience like? Probably one of, if if not the, probably one of the top three great greatest moments of my entire career I grew up a huge fan of wrestling and as I got older it got it, it grew the love and the passion for that grew more and more and and it eventually gets to the point where just watching it's not enough you want to do it but one of the matches that really drew me in was Flair versus Funk the New York Knockout and, and I always tell the story great match it was an I quit match but for all intents and purposes, it was a hardcore match before hardcore was even a term. Uh, and we've had this conversation before. I'm not a fan of garbage cans filled with random weapons and crap. I'm not a fan of, you know, although at, in this day and age, the stack of tables underneath the ring is just accepted. It's a commonplace thing and I could get past it. That's fine. But at that point in time, in that match, they, they used the arena floor for a pile driver. They bashed each other into guardrails. They used a microphone wire. They used chairs. They used the announcer's table, which in this day and age, you really can't use the announce table. There are these big, giant things that you, you can never get in, into a ring to use as, as like a prop. That's why I, I give the stack of tables uh by you know that's fine uh but it it was a hardcore match where they wrestled where it it told the story but their their weapons were objects that naturally occur at ringside and i i was so taken in by this match by the violence by the story and by the two characters involved that at that time that had become one of the matches that I would watch over and over again, and I'm like, wow, this is just awesome. I, and, and I was always a big Ric Flair mat, uh, fan. Uh, I knew of Terry Funk. I liked his stuff, but this match made me fall in love with the body of work that Terry Funk did. And, and from that point on, I went back and watched more of his stuff and realized what a genius and what a great worker he was. So we fast forward to that. Uh, I, I ended up being on Starcade, which, you know, for newer wrestling fans was basically WCW's version of WrestleMania. That was their WrestleMania. Well, and, and actually, was, actually, it predated WrestleMania yes. by two years. Yep. So I'm on WCW's version of WrestleMania for the new fans, you know, and I'm wrestling for a title against friggin' Terry Funk. Mind blown, incredible experience. I pinch me, is this real? Uh, and it was just absolutely great. Uh, and then the following month, we had WCW Sin, where I did a three-way match with him and Meng. And actually, the Terry Funk match was actually the first 
live as Nitro was rolling promo I ever did. Nerve-wracking throughout the whole day because, as, as I said before, uh, in WCW, I was not given an opportunity to speak much or it was mostly comedy, one-liners, or act, acting like a nut. They said that Terry Funk's going to be in the middle of the ring and you're going to come out on the stage with a mic and you guys are going to promo back and forth and that's on YouTube somewhere. You guys are going to go back and forth in a live promo on air. And I embraced the opportunity. I knew it was something great. It was uh, an opportunity to show what I could do. But in the very back of my brain there somewhere, there was seven, eight-year-old stuttering Chris Ford saying, <laughs> oh, my God, I hope I don't screw this up. And it, it, it just came off great. Wow, that that is an awesome that's an awesome story. And I know just uh, the other side too. You know, Terry Funk, he was this wild man, obviously, uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera. Um, he was like, my, I only had a few interactions with him, but he couldn't have been any more laid back. Couldn't have been any more of a gentleman. And something I really treasure is I, I had an opportunity at one point. It was actually not in WCW. It was a few years later after an MCW show, I believe it was, where I walked into uh, the hotel bar there afterwards. And um, actually it was, it was a, I think a convention, like at a hotel, it was like a signing and, and Terry was there and I walked into the bar afterwards and Terry came in and sat next to me at the bar because we had, uh, I had conducted a Q and A with him earlier that night. I had sort of been the, the MC um, and, and Terry ordered a pizza and, and said, help me eat some. Hey, kids, help me eat yeah. some. Yeah, very soft-spoken, very super soft-spoken. soft-spoken. And yeah. I said, no, no, Terry, I don't. He goes, no, no, please, I insist, I insist. And, and started, you know, giving some of his pizza. And we sat there over pizza and beers and just talked about his career and the wrestling business. I mean, you know, as, as a longtime fan, you know, I've done some pretty, you know, I've had some pretty cool experiences, but that's, that's right up there on the list. It's just sitting there and, and talking wrestling with Terry Funk over beer and pizza. Doesn't get amazing. No. It is amazing. Let me ask you about another guy that. Actually, before we go even, but to this day, you know, when people ask, why do you still do this? And, and I'll give an answer and they'll scoff at it or just uh, let they'll shake their head. I, I believe it's in the beyond the mat movie where he was heavily featured. Terry Funk, you know, they get into how bad his knees are and this and that. And I'm almost positive it's beyond the mat. They asked Terry, I don't know if, if you recall the answer. Why do you still do this? Do you remember the answer? I, I don't. No. Because it's fun. Okay. And that, that is, you, it's the simplest answer to that question. And you either get it or you, you don't get it. And while there's been thousands of human beings that have done this sport throughout the years, I, I honestly feel there's a small handful that have that love and passion. I'm inclined to believe that I'm definitely in that small handful that have not become like bitter. Don't look down on it. And to, to be able to give that answer you just know it's a feeling it's visceral it's something deep down and 
if you could give that answer and that's your, you just know, you know what you're, and whenever people ask me and I'll answer, it's fun. And I'll, and I'll hear that echo in my head. It's fun. And they're either going to get it or they're not going to get it. And you know, th that is a flashbulb moment for me watching that movie years and years and years ago. And it still rings true now, probably 20 years later. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, when you say beyond the mat, I didn't remember that specific uh, scene that you're talking about with Terry saying it's fun. Of course, I remember the scene that everybody remembers, which is Dennis Stamp uh, oh, trying to get on, on his uh, Terry's one of his many <laughs> retirement shows. I'm not and booked. He was wrestling. Yeah. He was, he was working with the Bret Hart and, and uh, he's like, I, I'm not, I'm not booked, Terry. I'm not booked. Well, come on. I want you to be on it. I want you to be yeah. on it. I yep. can't, Terry. I'm not booked. Why, why don't you referee me and Brett? Why don't you referee? Such a nice guy. Oh, oh my god, so good. So good. And, and Dennis on the on the trampoline. trampoline. <laughs> I, I don't do any tricks. I just <laughs> such great stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you about one other guy um, who's uh, pretty legendary. I would say in this business, a younger guy than Terry Funk, though, and that's John Cena. And I think what's cool about you is you've been in the ring with guys like Terry Funk and. Bam Bam Bigelow, and you know you you've wrestled, geez, ECW originals like Sabu many many times, and Taz, and you've also been in the ring with John Cena. So yes, tell me about what that you know when that happened and and what that experience was like because he wasn't quite John Cena that we came to know as the biggest star in the business at that point, right? He was was he was he the John prototype? Cena was he, the, he was the prototype. He was a prototype, and I'm gonna throw out an outlandish plea if anybody is in WWE headquarters listening. If you could get me this match for my own consumption, just to show my kids, it won't go on YouTube or anything, just to show my kids, this is a plea to WWE management. I would love to see this match. Oh, okay, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> was it dark or was it taped? Dark for match. Okay. Dark match in Philadelphia. It was shortly after WCW, before they brought John Cena up as John Cena. And, uh, you know, I, I had heard, everybody had heard, heard about the prototype in all the dirt sheets and the magazines and this and that. And uh, we got to do a dark match. And you hear all these stories about John Cena, how he's knighted. And, and a lot of people ask, is it true? And this and that. And I actually had that perspective. I, for all intents and the purposes, doing that match was the veteran guy. And he was the nicest guy probably one of the nicest guys i've ever met and and i knew from that match that this guy was going to be a star he looked that's what phenomenal. i was gonna ask you. that's what i was going to ask you is did you see it in him right yes there? you could see it immediately it just outside of the body which sticks out he was in great shape he was very athletic but he just had that look and he had that you know that it factor which when you're in wrestling you know there's there's something that you can't put your finger on and people have an it factor or they don't have an it factor. There's great athletes. There's great spot guys. There's guys that do great violence, but there's, there's that it factor that makes you want to watch. You know, there's something where, you know, if you're flicking through the channels and we've had this discussion, if you see a certain person, they have something that makes you stop at least for a second or two and want to see what, is going on what this is all about and i thought he had it way back then 
I believe I did an interview view and, and I said it at that point too. I said, definitely going to be a future star. He just has something that makes you want to watch him. Well, before we, uh, before we wrap up, I just want to one more time, uh, get your, uh, social media information and your YouTube, just so people can check out your stuff. Again, I, I highly recommend it, uh, to check out the promos. It's, it's, some of the best stuff out there right now, I think, promo-wise. Uh, so tell people once again where they can check out those, those promos. Okay, sure. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at WCW Crowbar. And if you want to jump on YouTube uh, and you type in WCW Crowbar, Devin Storm Wrestling Promos, uh, you'll see them all in a chronological order. They're all on my Twitter page, but you, you know they're also mixed in with my daily Star Wars stuff and whatever wacky stuff I do. I'm, a, you know, as, as elitist and as eccentric as my character may be, I, you know, you know me, Kevin, I'm probably the biggest juvenile going. <laughs> love Star Wars, love my comics and all that type of stuff. So if you want to streamline and just see the promos, you can check out the YouTube. There's also a link on my, uh, the blurb at, at the top. I, I have a second Twitter that also features all the with the promos and that's all that's there so if you want to see my thoughts on all all the current wackiness in pro wrestling uh you could check them out and that's it that's all all right very good well it was uh it was great catching up with you although it's not like we don't <laughs> as i said catch up <laughs> on a regular basis anyway but it was good to have you on the podcast and uh Really want to thank you for your time. You were you were very generous today with your time. So. A lot of I love doing this stuff. Thank you so much, and thank you for all you've done for me. You know, it, I love. You know, I just want to know how much I appreciate all you've done. You've been a great friend, and and just it's it's really cool going back. WCW, whether it was catering or in a hallway or wherever, <laughs> we had so so many great conversations that one I think were very introspective as far as the business goes but a lot of funny things and it's and to be doing this 20 years later is just really really cool yeah it was fun i remember back then again i was uh the editor of the magazine i was not involved in creative but i certainly had aspirations of getting on the getting on that side and uh, and you and i would sit and kind of uh, come up with these storylines for crowbar and where things could go i think we came up some with some really good stuff really good stuff yeah <laughs> but of course it never saw the light of day and um you know i'm not going to i know you will never badmouth anyone and uh I, I will just say this that you know vince russo was a nice guy but man i we were we didn't see eye to eye when it came to booking and uh <laughs> and and anytime i pitched him an idea it uh I saw just how different we were when it came to booking philosophies. So that was never going to work. Um, but we did, we did have some ideas that, that never made it off the notebook page. Yep. But yeah. Still a fun time. Well, thanks Definitely, again. Man. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. It was great, great time. Thanks so much, dude. Absolutely. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Remember a new episode of the ROH strong podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHwrestling.com and most podcast <laughs> platforms. Keep it locked onto ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH strong.